If anybody's got the answers, it's Jocko. You got any answers? Oh, uh, I'm not quite so sure about that. I'm not sure how this movie ends. <laughs> this is the dumbest fucking movie ever. Do you know Magic the Gathering is now racist? <laughs> I don't even know what Magic the Gathering is. It's some what dorky it? game that that nerds play. Oh. Sorry, how nerds. Is it, how is it racist? Um, I don't know. I, was just re- I only saw the title of the article that they're, they're trying to cancel Magic the Gathering. I'm like, oh, Christ. <laughs> I thought that's what you guys liked. I thought they liked Magic the Gathering. I have no idea. Everything's 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 problematic. Everyone's getting canceled. It's amazing how many people did blackface. Yeah, it's very <laughs> strange. It's very strange. It's, it's very strange. I mean, it was on it was on primetime TV, yeah, right? Yeah, a bunch of times. Yeah. I mean, like in the modern world, oh, primetime yeah, yeah. TV. Jimmy Fallon was doing well. He's doing a Chris Rock impression, which, by the way, you used to be able to do when I was in high school. My friends were Mr. T for Halloween. Nobody gave a fuck. Nobody was like, Jimmy, what's wrong with you? Everybody's like, oh, you're Mr. T for Halloween. It was never, like, a problem. It's yeah. very, it's a very strange thing, you know? Like, you can do whiteface. No problem. Here it is. What is this? Magic the Gathering. Invoke prejudice card. So mm. that's a... <clears throat> it's an enchantment card which restricts the caster's opponent to only using summons that match the skin color of their opposing creatures. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> this is you, if you brought me on to talk about this, I should leave now. <laughs> about about Magic the Gathering. No. This is why I'm here, man. We're in a it bad way. It <laughs> just shows how fucked up everything is. Yeah, uh, there's a lot of thin skin out there right now. Apparently, I just don't. I mean, it seems like a perfect storm. Like if you wanted to engineer the downfall of society, you would do it in several steps. You would have a reality show president where everybody's mad at him and and then all the liberals get their feathers in a ruffle and everybody gets real super uptight and and then there's this big divide between the left and the right that's kind of, you know, manufactured. And then you'd have this disease. Just lock everyone inside. Yeah, unprecedented. Lock every, shut down the economy. Force people to not work. So if your business falls apart, you could be the most hardworking, diligent, disciplined person who's always at work an hour early, always has your I's dotted and your T's crossed, and you still go broke, and you're still fucked. And then you have this George Floyd thing. And then... Boom. It just ignites the power keg. The other thing that you have to wrap around all this is this social media, which Mm. is, you know, I'm only going to post things that are just going to completely make everyone that sees whatever I'm posting emotional and and filled with rage. Whether you're on the left or you're on the right, my goal is to enrage people. That's Mm. the goal. And then that just gets spun up over and over. So you're taking all these little incidents and you're multiplying times thousands and thousands of views. And and then on top of that, mainstream media is the same thing, right? It's not like there's this huge difference between what the mainstream media shows and what social media, they're both, it's both emotional media, just trying to make people emotional, which is the worst possible thing. No one makes good decisions when they're emotional. No. I spent... My adult life trying to train humans to not get emotional in pressure situations. Why? Because it's going to end up bad every single time. Every single time. And yet, that's what our, that's what our society is based on right now. But It's based on these emotional reactions. Yeah, because of social media, I think, and because of things like YouTube and user-created content where anybody can kind of make videos, so many things are vying for folks' attention that mainstream media has resorted to clickbaity type shit. Whether it's uh, New York Times articles, 
which you know used to be beyond reproach that they're they've gone social justice warrior and clickbaity and all these other websites are 100% clickbaity that's the only way they can get people to pay attention like i saw like the the dumbest fucking article i couldn't believe how dumb it was it was an article on ozark is like has ozark been canceled and i'm like fuck they canceled that show that show's amazing so then i click on the article the entire article is about a guy who couldn't find season one on Ozark <laughs> because there was a glitch and then he found it. And so it's not. So the whole article was just bullshit. Yeah. But they got me. <laughs> they get everybody. They got you to click. They, they got, got their advertising click. dollars because they can show the yeah. engagement with the audience. Exactly. Well, here's a good one. CNN showed uh, a guy got shot yesterday in San Bernardino. Um uh, Hispanic man got shot in San Bernardino. So that's the title. The title of the article is Hispanic man gets gunned down by the police in San Bernardino. What they leave out is the guy had a gun and was shooting at the cops. So this guy's got a gun. There's photos of this gentleman with a gun. And there's a cop on his knees about to shoot the guy. The guy's standing in front of a gas station. There's gas pumps. I mean, I, I maybe he felt like they wouldn't shoot at him because the gas tanks were right behind him. The, the, the pumps were right behind him. But why would they leave that out? Guy with gun in gunfight with cops dies is the right <laughs> title. Not Hispanic man gunned down by cops. Like They're literally trying to incite anger and violence. They know that you read that and you say Hispanic man shot by cops like these motherfuckers. They're murderers. They won't stop. And they leave out this picture of this man with a gun pointing it. Uh, you're looking at me like I'm going to say some kind of really profound answer. I got nothing for you, you because it. because you're you're exactly right. That what is it? What do they set up that headline for? It's to outrage people. Yes. Anyone that actually opens it up and reads it would actually probably say something like, "Hmm, sounds like the cops did a good job on that one and killed a bad guy before he blew up a gas station and killed a bunch of innocent people." But that's that's obviously not that. I mean, no. think if you try to write a headline the other way of right. how these heroic cops face man with gun eliminate him before he can cause terror in this neighborhood that would be a nice headline to read but you're not going to see it you're not going to see that not today because <laughs> it's not going to drive enough people yeah. crazy today if your wife tweets all lives matter you can get sh you can get fired you it doesn't even have to be you anymore yeah. yeah all lives matter just imagine a time where saying all lives matter is it so controversial that you could get fired? Now, didn't that happen to a, a soccer player or yeah. something? Yes. A soccer player's wife tweeted something like that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the guy who runs the Kings, or the guy who's the commentator for the Kings, they fired him. You know, and, and then you, this is, a lot of it is this, right? So people are feeling a certain way, and they're not, they're not feeling, like this girl that wrote All Lives Matter. Do you think that was her clandestine way of showing that she's all about white pride? You know what I mean? No. She was thinking, hey, everyone matters. She's probably having some nice thoughts, <laughs> right. you know? She's, but then all of a sudden, no, this chick is evil, right, for doing this. And I think there's a lot of that. I think there's a lot of people that, I think most people are pretty sane. I think most people are pretty yes. reasonable. I think, you know, anybody looking at, at the George Floyd case, it's like, yeah, that's completely wrong. That's disgusting. It's horrible. It's heinous to watch. I haven't heard anyone say other, anything other than that. So 
how are we just getting so completely divided on this whole thing and start attacking people, start attacking each other just over, over absolutely everything? That's a good point because this is literally a case where no one is saying there's nothing wrong with what that cop did. No one. No one. No Zero one. people. Zero people. But yet everybody's still at each other's throats. Zero people have have stuck up for that guy in any way, shape, or form. Even law enforcement. No law enforcement people saying, you got to understand, this is how you control a man. you got to lean on his neck for about eight minutes, 40, 40, 45 seconds, 46 seconds. No one's saying that. And unfortunately, what you know what, you know what they're saying? They're saying defund the police. Yeah. They're saying no more chokeholds, right? Which I think is crazy. Is crazy. Yeah. If you want to get someone to be under control and you can't choke them, you know what you have to do? You have to hit them in the head with a baton. Yeah. Seven times. And you got to risk giving them brain damage, permanently injuring them. If people know what they're doing, I, I mean, obviously, if people know what they're doing, oh, we'll put a choke on. They'll wake up, they'll be cuffed. Yeah. We're, we're all good. Yeah, obviously. But, you know, it's the people that are doing it wrong is the problem. The people that shouldn't be doing it in the first place. It's untrained people. It's, but if you're if you're in a, you're a cop and you're in a fight for your life and you can't use chokeholds, that's fucking crazy. It's insane. You're gonna get shot and killed, or somebody else is gonna get shot and killed. Someone's gonna take your gun. Yeah, and and the the idea of defund the police, and I I I, I understand the premise. Okay, and this is once again where. Many people that say defund the police, they don't mean, hey, just get rid of the police. Of course, there's a, there's a fraction of people that are saying defund the police means we don't want any more police anymore. There's a, a portion of people saying that. There's some people that are saying, well, if we defund the police, we can relocate some of that money and we can do you know better schools and we can put money into the infrastructure inside these neighborhoods. But here's the problem. You know what the police need more than anything else? They need money for training. And the, the way the police departments are set up, they do the most ridiculously minuscule amount of training for what their job is. So, as you know, I was in the SEAL teams. We would train for 18 months. 18 months we would train to go on a six-month deployment. Cops, they train, they get like two hours or four hours of combatives training a year a year <laughs> that's that's complete insanity insanity it's complete insanity uh, the thing i've been saying is w cops should train one-fifth of the time one-fifth of the time you should be training whether it's two hours a day four times a week or whether it's one day a week where you're going to go and you're going to go through scenarios you're going to do combatives you're going to work with simunition you're going to do de-escalation drills because it's really hard. I mean, being a cop is, I think, is the hardest job in the world. And by the way, they're not going to have to worry about defunding the police because no one's going to want to be a cop anymore. Who is going to be fired up to be a cop right now? Who's going to think, you know what? When I grow up, I want to be hated by entire, you know, by a massive portion of the country. I want to be viewed as someone that's, uh, that kills innocent people. The, 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 the recruiting in cop for, for police is going to go down so hard. It's going to be ridiculous. It's going to be ridiculous. And then who are you getting there? You're going to get people that are worst level people, worst level humans are going to show up to be cops. So the training piece, though, they should do very, very scenario driven training, right? Where you come into a room and this isn't like super expensive stuff either. You come into a room, there's a person there, 
they appear to be compliant. You ask, you, you learn how to talk to them. You very quickly learn that instead of yelling them out of the, out of the gate, you say, hey man, what's going on? Hey, what, what's your name? You know, what, what, what's going on? We got a call here. Is everything okay? You just immediately deescalate. Then you learn what to do when they're not, when they don't respond the way you want them to respond. Then you learn what to do when they start to do something drastic. What's the best thing for you? And you play through these scenarios. It's just like jujitsu in the fact that what, what makes jujitsu good? What makes jujitsu good is we can go hard against each other over and over again and not really get hurt, not really get killed. So you get really good at it. That's what you need to do in training for police. You need to go through these tough scenarios over and over again because you do get better at it. You do get better at it. You become, you learn how to mentally detach and not get emotional and realize that there's other things that are happening. When you see the, the George Floyd case, uh, a couple of the other cops too, I think two of the other guys were complete rookies, right? They had been on the force for a very short period of time. No one in that group of four, obviously you got the killer himself. He's, he's actually conducting the act, but all the other guys are not paying attention. They're, they're all emotional themselves. Hey, stay back. And, and they're probably watching him saying, what's, why isn't that guy moving? And they're just caught up in it. Whereas if someone would have showed up on the scene or one of those guys had been through some good training in their life, they would have said, what's happening here? Hold on. My partner over there has been on this guy for two minutes. He's not moving anymore. I'm going to walk over and say, Hey man, let me take over. I got this De- go over there, decompress. This takes training. You have to train people. And I got, I saw this over and over again in the SEAL teams, training guys. You get a young kid that's coming through training for the first time and they go into a room and they're getting shot with simunition bullets or there's someone yelling and screaming or they, we'd put, we'd put Arabic women coming, walking out of rooms. We'd have people get blown up with wounds. We would do this to them over and over again. So they realize, okay, I just got to relax. I got to take a step back. I got to detach from this situation so I can process what's happening and I can make a good decision because as I said earlier, no one is making a good decision when they're panicked, when they're freaked out, when they're scared. As a jujitsu guy, when someone puts hands on you, you're not actually scared, right? You're like, oh, okay, I know what to do here. If you don't know jujitsu, if you've never had someone grab you before or you haven't had someone grab you in 17 months or 14 months no one's laid hands on you because you got a badge and a gun so people when you tell them to do something 95 percent of the time they go okay yeah i don't want to get in trouble but then somebody grabs you you're instantly your your emotions are spiked your adrenaline spiked and the only way to overcome that is through consistent training that that happens on a regular basis you can't just train somebody one time it's like ring rust. You know, you can't just mm. train somebody one time and, oh, now I don't need to train anymore. No, you need to do continuous training. So, so that fact right there, we, if we want to help the police through these situations, we need to invest more money into them. We need to get them better training. We need to pull them out of the field to train and pull them out of the field to decompress because you ever done a ride along? No. Like you... Whether you're doing a ride along, whether you're going into any situation where you're thinking you could be killed, and even if it's just a remote chance, but you're doing that all the time, all the time, and you're hearing, you're seeing on the news, you're, oh, you hear this, oh, your buddy got shot, your buddy got whatever, this other guy got, you know, take his gun taken away. Like that stuff happens. That stuff happens. People get killed. I mean, there's been, I think there's been 31 cops killed this year. 31 cops killed this year. And 
a, a lot of those, that's not including, you know, like a car accident or COVID. There's been a bunch died of COVID, but just people that have been engaged with bad guys and they got killed. So you're a cop. When another cop gets killed, you're thinking that could be you. So that's your mindset. And that mindset builds and that mindset builds and you're working 10 hour days and you're working 12 hour days and there's no training and there's no breaks. Where do you end up? Right? Where do you end up? You end up being a little bit paranoid. You end up being a little bit angry. What happens when you get in a fight with your wife? You know, it's like all these things you add them mm. together. It's a freaking hard job. And from a, from a, like an entire systemic way of training and recruiting and, and keeping police ready to do their job, whatever that job entails. Cause Let's face it, most of the time that in job entails, well, I guess most of the time it entails, hey, I'm going to go have a bad, I'm about to go have a bad relationship with another human being. That's what's about to happen, right? <laughs> whether I'm pulling you over, whether I'm, I've been called to your house because you were yelling and screaming and people heard your wife screaming or whatever. That's what's happening. I'm showing up in a bad relationship. You don't like me and I already don't like you. That's where we start. That's where we start. So we got to train people for that. We also got to train them for all the times that they go in to help people, save people. They're the first people on the scene at car accidents. People are bleeding out. We got to train them for that. And then they have to also be trained for, hey, this is a bad guy that's going to, this is the guy that you just talked about at a gas station with a weapon that wants to kill a bunch of people. You got to be prepared for that whole spectrum as a police officer. And yet we send them to a three-month-long police academy, and then we send them out in the street, and that's what they do day in, day out, day in, day out. It seems to me that they need to be vetted, too, much better than they are now, just like the SEALs. Like, you can't get through buds unless you are a superior human being. You have to be able to tolerate a bunch of shit that most people are going to fall apart during. And this is this seems to me that this is a great way to weed out people that just don't have it yeah there's well one thing that's interesting just from a physical perspective most police departments don't even have a minimum physical requirement to continue to be on the force you have to be at a certain level to graduate from the academies but oftentimes there's no standard beyond that yeah i've seen cops before that we're like this is hilarious like what is going to stop someone from closing the distance on you like you, you, you ain't getting to that gun. Yep. But the mental aspect is stuff that you can get better at. Yes. You can get better at it, but you only get better at it through training. Right. And you only get really comfortable through training a lot. And yet we put these people in these horrible positions over and over and over again. And we get, we don't give them the proper training. And now there's these politicians that because of the current social climate, they're encouraged to want to defund the police. That's a great way for them to get brownie points from their constituents. The people want the police defunded, which is the, it's the dumbest idea I've ever heard in my life. It's, it's so crazy that this is actually gaining steam to the point where in Minneapolis, because they're trying to quiet down the mob, they've actually gone ahead and done it. What the fuck is Minneapolis going to look like in a year from now? It's going to look like Mad Max. <laughs> I mean, it's going to be crazy. Yeah, it's going to be it's going to be crazy. It's going to be, uh, you know, criminals will go there to commit crimes. If there's no if there's no police there, are you crazy? By the way, this Jocko energy drink is the shit. <laughs> it's very legit. <laughs> right. On. <I> <clears throat> um, yeah, I just don't understand where they think this game ends, the, and I don't think they've planned it out. They're not playing chess. 
the the other the other thing that you you know you're talking about this brownie points for the politicians and and there's brownie points and there's people trying to create sides it's mm. my side versus your side and that's a completely political thing right and all that does is increase the divide between the police and the civilians and and this reminds me a lot of of a counterinsurgency right so counterinsurgency the insurgents are you know bad guys inside of a country the country's not bad the, there's some bad guys in a country so what you have to do is you actually have to go out and build relationships with the good people inside that country so that the good people inside that country can help you get rid of the bad people what happens if you go out and this so this is ramadi iraq this is my last deployment to iraq there's a bunch of just totally normal good people iraqi people that are living in the city of ramadi what do they want to do you know what they want to do they want to send their kids to school they want to run their little market they want to do whatever that they, whatever is that they do that's what they want to do they have the same goal as a normal family they're just a normal bunch of people and inside that group of people there's a bunch of bad people and these are insurgents some of them are foreign fighters some of them are foreign regime elements from saddam but they're bad and they want to create chaos and mayhem so americans we go in there if we go in there super heavy-handed and while I go to capture or kill one bad guy, I kill or maim a couple of those normal civilians. What happens? Well, a couple of those normal civilians' family go, wait, you guys aren't good. You guys are bad. You guys just killed my brother and he didn't do anything wrong. And then we do it again. And then we do it again. And then we do it again. And each time that we do this, we're, we're creating more animosity from the local populace who, by the way, like I said, they're just nor good, normal people. So what we had to do is really focus on going out and building relationships with the local populace. How do we do that? And one of the things, uh, this, this happened after I left, but you, you remember the surge that took place mm -hmm. and they sent a bunch more troops over there. Part of the reason that they sent that surge and part of the reason that that was allowed to happen was because the Battle of Ramadi, where I fought, went very well. And since it went well, people said, well, maybe maybe we can pull this off. So they sent more troops. And one of the directives that General Petraeus gave is he said there can be no more drive-by counterinsurgency. And what he meant that by that was when you go to a neighborhood, you can't just drive through the neighborhood in your Humvee in your bulletproof Humvee with your windows up, drive through, show of force, and then leave. That, that doesn't work. What you have to do is stop your vehicles. You have to get out. You have to talk to the local populace. You have to ask them what's going on. You have to ask them if they need anything. You have to build relationships with the local populace, the good local populace that just wants those insurgents out of there. And that's what I don't see happening. And the more we increase this divide between the police and the civilians, the worse that's going to get. And so the police have to start doing a better job of outreach of, hey, you know, I asked you if you did a ride along. They should be offering ride alongs all the time to the, to the local kids, 17 year old kids, 15 year old kids. Hey, come and see what my job is like. Come and help me out. That 15 year old kid, he knows who the bad actors are. He knows who the good kids are. You know, bring that kid along on a ride along. Let him see what it looks like from your angle. Get out, meet the parents, meet the families. That's we're, we're failing to build relationships between the police and the civilians. And that causes 
that 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 causes these problems. I think you're 100% correct, but I don't hear anybody repeating what you're saying. That's what's terrifying to me. I think everything you're saying is logical. It makes sense. It comes from experience. I don't hear anybody saying this. Yeah. And I, well, I think maybe it's because people just don't recognize what's happening because they're too in it, right? They're too in it. They're, they're wrapped up in it. And, and, and that's another part. You know, I talked about recruiting. Who are you recruiting? Recruit those kids. Recruit those kids, but you have to build a relationship with them before you can act, before anyone's going to go into the police. And look, the I think it's the I think it's the L.A. Police Department. If you look at the L.A. Police Department compared to the racial makeup of L.A., they they're pretty equivalent, and they're pretty equivalent on purpose. They do that for a reason. So you got to get that. You got to continue to build that those relationships so that we talk to one another. You know, we actually communicate with each other because anytime, you know, I'm allowed to sit over here in my area and you're sitting over there in your area, we're building animosity. We build that kind of animosity between each other. And now the littlest thing, the littlest thing. I mean, there was a woman that was killed in Minneapolis like t t two, three years ago. Do you remember this one? Yes. Female, yes. A, like a yoga instructor called the police, the police called the police to report a disturbance. The police showed up and... There's no video, no footage. She gets killed by the cops. She gets killed by the cops. It's insane that, th that these things happen. But we also have to remember what, like I said, what is a police officer thinking about? And what kind of training have we given them? And what kind of psychological screening, to your point, what kind yeah. of strike? And it's not just one-time psychological sc screening, because guess what? People get burnt out. And it happens at different times to different people. You take 35 guys in combat. I've got some guys at the end of a six-month deployment. You know what they're telling me? Can I stay longer? I'm doing fine. You get one month into that deployment, and you've got other guys that are saying, hey, uh, do you need anyone to head home early? Right? That happens. So you think in a police force of 1,000 people or whatever size your police force is, you're going to have some people that are steady, mentally stable. They can deal with it. They can go, they can, they can get, be an officer-involved shooting today, and tomorrow they can go back to their job and be perfectly fine. There's other people, they could never work again after they're in an officer-involved shooting. What kind of investment are we making into this psychological health of police? And, and look, uh, I, I hope it doesn't sound like I'm sitting here just putting it all on the police, because everyone is playing a role in this. And one of the things that you need to look at as well is, how to get arrested, right? How, how, there should be a public service course on how you should get arrested. This is what you should do. If the cops are pulling you over, if the cops ask you, if the cops approach you about something, here's what you should think. One of the things you should think is, okay, this cop may not be bad. This cop may be looking out for my welfare right now. That's a great hopeful thought. The other thing that you have to think is kind of worst case scenario. This cop might be agitated. This cop might be looking for somebody that fits my description. This cop might, might have just been in a fight with his wife. He might have just lost a partner. There's a million bad things. Use that scenario in your head. Use that scenario in your head to, to, to contemplate how you're going to interact with a police officer, which is, you know what they're looking at? They're looking at your hands. You know why? Because that's where the threat comes from. The threat comes from your hands. So when you're making quick movement with your hands, don't do that. Listen to what they say. Move, move slowly when you move. 
This should be public service. The police should be putting out, hey, if you interact with the police, we hate to have to say this, but since our police sometimes are in bad situations, here's some things we recommend and we highly suggest and we beg. We beg that you do this. We beg, because what happens to these cops when they kill somebody? What happens to them? Their, their lives are just totally destroyed. Well, that was the thing about that guy in Minneapolis. He'd already killed people. He'd already been involved, and I think it's at least two shootings, and he had more than a dozen complaints against him. Yeah. Not good. Not good. I mean, good. it's obvious by the end, by the end result. Yeah. That, that's the, the type of guy he was. It's pretty obvious by the, the fact that he was able to do that to a man. The guy's literally calling out to his dead mother. You know, I mean, the, the, the type of man that can stay on someone's neck while they're doing that when all that guy did was have a counterfeit $20 bill. That's it. This is where when you talk about psychological yeah. screening and that, that's why I'm saying it has to be it has constant. to be constant. Yeah, because people people change. Yeah. Right. And red flags. I mean, like you said, hindsight's twenty twenty. We're looking at this case now. We're going, oh, who the hell lets this guy continue to police? And by the way, interestingly enough, if you talk to internal affairs at police departments, the vast majority of the complaints that they get about other about police are from police. Mm. So they compl- they report each other. That's little known fact. Most of the most of the reports don't come from the civilians out there saying, "Hey, this happened or that happened." Most that's of the time, it's cops saying, "Hey, this guy was out of line here." Well, that's that's a good sign. This, it just it doesn't look rosy when I'm looking at the future. I don't I don't see a way during this climate. Well, what what scares me the most is I don't see a way if we don't talk to each other. That that's where there's no solution, because you know, look for every ten viral video that you see of a of a cop hitting somebody with a baton or a rioter throwing something through a window for every 10 of those viral videos there's another viral video that has you know the guy with the free hugs t-shirt on that's out talking Mm -hmm. to the cops and saying hey you know i i get it and they're communicating with each other and talking and when you communicate with people it's it's just like a hostage rescue basic technique you want to humanize you want to humanize instead of dehumanize and right now we're just dehumanizing each other completely. And that's what scares me more than anything else is if we can't talk to each other, because look, you take the most hardened uh, soldier in war, some, you know, some badass soldier that's done four deployments, six deployments, whatever. And you put him into a room with a, a kid and a mom, an Iraqi kid and a mom or an Af- Afghan kid and a mom. And you put him in that room and say, Hey, s- sit here for 15 minutes and find out what they're about. Here's an interpreter. That, that guy's going to come out of there going, yeah, I, I get where they're coming from. It's, and same thing, vice versa. You take a hardened jihadist and you say, hey, talk to this guy over here about what he's trying to do inside your country. Well, just, just, just talk to him. When you open up the communications, and are you going to get some extremists on both ends? Yes, you will. So maybe I shouldn't have said the most hardened uh, soldier and the most hardened, because you know what? The most hardened soldier becomes a killer. Becomes a killer. That that happens. It happens all the time. You know, I, I, I shouldn't say it happens all the time. It happens from time to time. That's how you get the Milai massacre. It happens. The the most hardened jihadist. They're not going to change their mind. They're not going to come to any any rose colored view of America. But barring those total extremes, 
You've got people. You've got other human beings. And if you can get them to talk to each other, they can find consensus. They can find common ground. But if they're not talking to each other, then we don't move it, make any progress. And what, to your whole kind of point about what's happening right now, there's less and less communication between people, open communication. Because if you, if you talk to a, someone and they say, the cops did this, this, and this, and you say, oh, okay, explain to me what happened. Tell me what went down. And then you say, hey, let me tell you what it's like for, for a cop, being a cop, when he sees that, when he sees something going on. You know how many domestic violence cases happen and the person shows up and they're, they're getting assaulted by both parties? Mm -hmm. So maybe that's what this cop was thinking when he showed up and saw your mom in this situation and did this to your dad. Right. Like this is real conversations, but we don't we don't have them. And not only we don't have them, it seems like it seems like there's forces that are actively trying to prevent us from talking to each other, from sitting down at a table and saying, hey, man, what tell me what's going on? What forces? Who wants who wants the country to be divided? It's the people that you're talking about earlier that that how do they score points? How do I score points with this group? How do I sp score points with the other group? It's by making making everything as divisive as possible. It's 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 horrible to watch, man. It's sickening to watch. I was reading a, a whole series of tweets where there's a journalist that was talking about how uh, cops shooting black men is a real problem, but another real problem that's not being discussed by this Black Lives Matter group is black on black crime and how do we stop all the murders that are taking place in Chicago and this mm -hmm. this is something that should be discussed and this guy was getting attacked and one of the one of the uh, another journalist is literally tweeting at him saying you have been told not to discuss this <laughs> but yet he ignores the, the these commands that, that that he should not discuss this is a very real issue as if somehow or another bringing up another issue that is also a problem diminishes the original issue of this guy getting killed by cops, it, which, of course, it doesn't. Yeah. But this the idea is that there's problems. There's real problems. And it's not just the cops killing these people. There's there's look, the, the cop killed this guy in Minneapolis. He didn't do anything in Seattle. How the fuck did that shit happen in Seattle? Well, it happened in Seattle because of this reactionary world where, where one person does something somewhere, it gets through social media, it gets through the mainstream media, it becomes this, this huge inflammatory subject. And then the next thing you know, windows are getting smashed, things are getting lit on fire, cars are getting turned over, blocks are getting taken, and that's where we find ourselves. I think it was May 29th. There was a cop killed, I want to say in Texas. And he was killed when they, they rolled onto a scene. They got, they got a call, hey, suspicious person running through the neighborhood. They roll up on the scene. They start, a couple, a few cops are now searching for this guy. And they see a building with an open door. They go, okay, let's, that, maybe he's in there. Let's go clear this building with an open door. They go in this building with an open door. There's shots fired. One of the cops killed one of the other cops. So, so, so just, you know, friendly fire, death. That right there 
if you if you take that and you just extrapolate that over how hard it is to be a police officer that you can be going into a building and you shoot one of your friends because you think they're bad that is a real problem that's how hard this job is my point is that's how hard this job is but we have to do a better job of explaining that we have to do a better job of explaining how hard this job is as far as the uh, hey don't talk about black on black violence I was trying to I was talking with my podcast bro echo Charles who's a black guy and we were talking about that and I said you know I think it might have a little bit to do with this if you were if you're watching UFC and there's two guys that are fighting and the round ends like just just at the end of the round all of a sudden the referee comes in and like punches one of the like like just just Muay Thai kicks a guy in the head and knocks him out everyone would be completely utterly outraged about this right because of course that guy wasn't in the game what, what's that guy doing right so I think there's a little bit of that that's that's the the, the referee is supposed to not do that mm-hmm. and when you see a cop the thought is hey that guy's like that guy's viewed as a referee that guy's mm-hmm. not supposed to be doing this so I think that is kind of where some of that 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 outrage comes from because this is a cop this isn't supposed to be happening here this right. this guy is no not supposed to be killing people right and he did it's also that the cop is just a person who has this extraordinary power yes and extraordinary responsibility too right, right what's terrifying to me is that when i'm looking at this idea to defund the police and then i'm thinking like what are these what do these neighborhoods look like if you wind up doing that and then how do you get back out of that what do you do refund the police do you do ramp it up and do it better next time I mean, this is a long process. You're looking at a lot of trial and error here over, you know, perhaps multiple years before they figure out what what they fucked up. Yeah. And I I know there's some there's some city. I think it's in New Jersey that Camden. Yes. That completely disband dismantled their police. But then they rebuilt a new police department. And, And I actually get that. Like you could get a department that was so completely and utterly corrupt Yeah. that you said, you know what? We're getting rid of all of them. And did you ever see cocaine cowboys? No. Great documentary, but one of the things it talks about is the corruption during the cocaine era of the 80s, where the entire graduating police force, the entire from the police academy, the entire graduating year, everyone was either murdered or went to jail for corruption. Everyone. The entire graduating class. That's how bad it was. Yeah. So, if you have that kind of if you have that kind of problem, you might want I get to dismantle it. that. You might want to force. dismantle that police force. You know what happens in the SEAL team sometimes? Sometimes there's a platoon that's so bad that they just they just dismantle the whole platoon. How how often does that happen? Very rarely, but it does happen. Really? Yep. And what causes something like that? Usually they're well, the the problem is bad leadership. Mm-hmm. It's always bad leadership because you can take a bunch of knuckleheads and you give them a good leader and they'll do they'll do fine. So it's always comes down to the leadership. So sometimes they, you know, they'll, they'll replace a leader, but if the, and usually when they replace a leader, you'll watch the platoon will turn around almost instantly because someone steps in and says, all right, here's what we're doing. Here's how we're doing it. And they, they make that change. But sometimes you have just like a bad platoon and they say, you know what? You guys are done. 
it seems incredibly difficult to be a good leader. One of the one of the more interesting things about what you're doing uh, with your platform, whether it's your podcast or the Instagram videos that you put out, you're showing what good leadership is. There's not a lot of people, when you look at, if you get a thousand people, how many of those people are going to be a real good leader? Well, this is what's this is what has become my career after yeah. the SEAL teams because I got very, very lucky in the SEAL teams. Very, very lucky. First of all, my whole career was just luck. I, I was the luckiest guy ever in the SEAL teams. And I happened to be in the right places at the right times. And I got some great experience in some very tough situations. And then the last thing that I did in the SEAL teams for almost the last three years I was in was I ran the training the tactical training, not the training where guys carry boats on their head and carry logs around. I, I didn't do that. I didn't. I, well, I went through it, but I didn't run that training. I ran the training where everything I was talking about, you're running scenarios, you're putting people in bad situations, you're using sim munition, you're doing all these things. So I got to see over and over again leaders get put into pressure situations and how their leaders responded and then how the team responds to that leader and what these different things wash out, how they wash out. And what's interesting is, and what... I really realized when I was in that position is that their leadership is a skill and you can get better at it. Now, just like fighting, just like jujitsu, there's certain people that have a natural propensity to be good at it. You got some, let's say someone's really strong, right? They're going to have an advantage. Let's say someone's super flexible. They're going to have a little advantage. Let's say someone has, uh, they're big, right? These things are advantages in fighting. In leadership, it's the same thing. Let's say someone is super articulate. That's helpful. Let's say someone doesn't have a bad temper. That's very helpful, but everyone is at a different level. Well, just like you can take a bunch of different sized and shaped and athletic ability people and you can make them better at fighting. You can take a bunch of people with different levels of leadership characteristics and you can improve them. And then there are actual moves. There's actual moves that you can do as a leader that are just like a jujitsu move. Oh, Joe comes to me and he's yelling and screaming at me that he didn't get the, he didn't, I didn't give him two extra people to go on his job. Instead of me going, hey, Joe, shut up. You don't know what you're talking about. Instead, I actually listen to you, right? I listen to you say, well, hold on. I didn't know you needed that many people. What do you, what do you need them for? So I show a little sense of urgency. I kind of reflect what your emotions are. So I'm not just creating a fight between you and me. Because if you and I are fighting, you and I are not finding a solution. So I'm going to reflect a little bit of your emotion and then I'm going to diminish it a little bit so you and I can have a real conversation. So there's moves that you can do as a leader that function like a jujitsu move. And they're very, very powerful. And the more of them you learn, the better off you'll be. And you need to practice them. You won't be good at them out of the gate. It's going to take some, just like if I showed you an arm lock and you've never done jujitsu before, you're not going to be able to just get on the mat and do it to somebody. You're going to have to try it a couple times. And you're going to have to learn the little nuances to the move. So there are ways that leaders can get better. And yes, there's absolutely natural leadership qualities that make people just a natural, better leader. But they, even those people can improve. So your question of out of a thousand people, how many really good leaders there are, well, you have to ask okay, you're just talking about how many people are just naturally born great leaders. You're probably, your suspicion is correct. It's not a huge amount. But how many of those leaders can you improve exponentially 
in their ability to lead. And that's what, you know, I have a company echelon front. That's what we do all the time is we go and work with companies. We work with leaders. That is exactly what we do. And we take companies of, I mean, we work with companies that have 150,000 employees and you start getting everyone, all the, all the leaders aligned and getting the frontline troops, understanding where the, where the leadership is and what they're thinking. And so you can become a much, much better leader over time. Now, how much of this do we see? in the civilian sector, how much do even more directly, how much of this do we see in the political world? The answer is an unbelievably small amount. I mean, <laughs> it's a ridiculously small amount. Yeah. It's a ridiculously small amount. Why is that? I bet there's a, there's a lot of reasons. First of all, who, who at this point in, in the world thinks that that sounds like a great job? Right? Hey, I'm going to go get attacked from all sides. I'm going to have my personal life picked apart. I'm going to get, you know, make, I'm going to work really hard and really not, I'm going to have a pay cap on how much money I make. There's all kinds of reasons why becoming a politician doesn't look like the best job for, for most people that would look and say, hey, would I rather be the CEO of a company and make a ton of money and make, create a huge product and leave a big impact and influence thousands of people that work at my company in a positive way? Or would I rather go and get ridiculed and get broke down and have to try and get my job again in four years or two years or whatever the case may be? It's a t- that's a tough job too. And a lot of people say, oh, I'm not going to, why, why would I jump into that game? I know I say that. Why would I jump into that game? Why would I want to go and be a politician right now? Right? It's crazy. Like for me to, to for me to want to go into the into the political world, there would have to be complete and utter chaos in America. I mean, way way beyond beyond where we're at. Have right you thought now. about this? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm telling you what I think. When yeah. when because people ask me, oh, you should do this, you should do that. I say, um, you know, we're not at a point where we need this. The we kind might of, be about four days away from it. We could be. <laughs> I think the answer, you know, let's get let's get uh, Dwayne the Rock Johnson. I agree with you. He's he's the guy that could really, I think, unify people, and I think he would have to run as an independent. And I recommend he does it right now. Right, right now, he should be like, yeah, you know what, I'm in. I'm in. I think he would win. I think he would win. I really think he would win as an independent. He's obviously a smart guy. He's super articulate. He listens. You can tell that he listens. I mean, when you see him interact with people, he's he's very genuine how he interacts. He's built businesses, right? He's built big, well, uh, really uh, productive businesses that are doing great. He he's, I think he'd be great. He's got a fantastic work ethic. He got a fantastic work work ethic that he you know he built. He came up from nothing, right? He had yeah. seven bucks in his pocket. We all know the story. And, and he has more bucks in his pocket than that now. So, and most important, I think, I think he's just a popular guy. You know, he would get up and, and when the country's going through hard times, you know, I was talking to a friend on the way up here and they were saying, Hey, you know, people, people want leadership and they're looking for it. And, and they're not hearing it. And a lot of times people don't even recognize the fact that they don't have leadership. You don't even recognize it. It's a leadership vacuum. So they don't even know what they should be thinking. Let, let me give you an example. You're, let's take a SEAL platoon. SEAL platoon raids a house. There's some explosions. There's some gunfire. And no one's really sure where it's coming from. And no one's really sure what to do. Now that individual, a lot of the individuals in that platoon are just kind of holding on security. They're, holding their, they're not really sure what to do. And they're not really even recognizing that there's a leadership vacuum. 
But then someone comes in, the leader, the platoon chief, the platoon commander comes in and goes, everyone get to the roof right now. And everyone goes, oh, cool. Now we know what to do. So same thing happening in America right now. There's no kind of voice saying, hey, everyone, this is what I just saw on this video. This is what I just saw. This was a heinous crime. This obviously, we have some deep-rooted problems that we need to fix. Here's the way I'm going to move forward addressing these problems, getting to the bottom of them, and here's how long the timeline is going to be. And by the way, my ears are open, and you know where the place, you know where I'm coming right now? I'll be in Minneapolis tomorrow afternoon. That's, you know, like, oh, we got a problem like that. If we have a problem like that, I am going on the ground. I will be there. I'll be there. What, I'm the guy, so I'm the president. So I'll be there in, what, two hours. I'll be there on the ground. I'm going to find out what's going on. I'm going to meet with people. We're going to talk. I'm going to listen. I'm going to find out what this means. I'm going to get to the bottom of these problems. That's, that's what, then you can actually speak from a position of, okay, I just spoke to these nine people. Matter of fact, they're coming with me. We're going to come up with a plan. We're going to come up with a plan together. You know, that's another huge leadership. Everyone thinks in the military that the, that the leader's sitting at the top going, all right, gentlemen, here's what we're going to do. We're going to approach this building from the west. We're going to assault the front door. No, that's not the way it works. That's not the way it should work. The way it should work is I say to you, Joe, I say, hey, Joe, here's the target I want you to go after tonight. Come up with a plan. And you say, okay, cool. And then you, if you're a good leader, you get with your team and say, hey, guys, here's the target we're going after. How do you all think we should do it? And now you all come up with your own plan together. And then you come back to me and say, hey, Jocko, here's how I want to do it. And I say, looks good. And maybe if I got to make a little adjustment, I say, hey, make this little adjustment here or maybe use this weapon over here or whatever. I make little tiny adjustments, but it's still your plan. And from a leadership perspective, that means you, are, you and your team are totally bought into the plan. You made it up. As opposed to me coming down and barking orders at you and telling you how we're going to do it, doesn't work. I mean, I can force you to do it because I outrank you. No, I order you to do this. That doesn't, that doesn't fly. You know how many times in my entire military career I said, hey, I'm the boss. You better do what I tell you to do. You wonder how many times I said that? Zero. Zero times. No one thinks like that. So in a leadership position, what you have to do is say, hey, I'm going to come. I'm going to find out what's going on. I'm going to talk to people and we're going to put together a plan to figure out how we're going to get this solved. This is not acceptable in America. That sounds fantastic, but what if you're a Republican and they're Democrats and then you get on the ground and you have a mayor that's non-compliant, you have a governor that disagrees with your strategy, they don't want you there in the first place, they want to work it out themselves, they want to defund the police, they're voting unanimously to mm -hmm. defund the police, they don't like what you're saying. Cool. Well, okay, if that's where we're at right now, let's, let's come up with a plan. Let's see how we get through this. Here's some things I'm worried about. Because if, you, if you're telling me you want to defund the police because you think that this police department is completely and utter, utterly corrupt, okay, let's, let's explore that. Because you could be right. You could be right. This is where a lot of leaders make a mistake where it becomes an ego thing. Especially like you're talking Republican and Democrat. So that means if I'm a Republican, no Democrat can have a good idea ever. And if I'm a Democrat, no Republican can have a good idea ever. Exactly. That's completely wrong. That's completely wrong. So even right now, like when you threaten me right now, right now, you're like, hey, what if I tell you I want to defund the police and I, want, I tell you I don't want the cops and I want, you tell me all those things as a good leader, you know what I'm going to say? All right. There must be something really bad going on here beyond even what I just saw on this video. I'm coming and I want to hear what's happening and I want you to tell me what your suggestions are. And if your suggestions are to defund the police, 
let's explore where that where that plays out. Let's see where that ends up. Because as we start peeling back the layers, even the most even the most uh, ardent anti-police person, you're going to get to a point where you say, okay, when my house is when when one of your constituents' house is being broken into, who are they going to call? What what mechanism are we going to put in place for security? How are we going to keep people safe from crime? And then they've got to answer that question. And and maybe they come up with a good answer. I, I don't know yet. But as a leader, you have to listen to other people's ideas. And we have to, you, you absolutely have to do that. There's a, a saying from Patton, the leader on the front line is always, always right. The leader, on the, front, the leader on the front line is always right. So I've always tried to embrace that theory, not just from a leadership perspective, but even from a human perspective. You know, when you want to tell me something that I don't know about, I'm going to listen to you. I'm actually going to, I'm actually really going to listen to you. I'm going to try and ask myself, well, let's see, Joe lives in this city and Joe's here with this community and Joe is telling me right now that we should have no police here. Well, could he be very emotional? Yes, he could. Does that mean I should not listen to anything he says? No, it doesn't. It means I should monitor your, your emotions and I should take that into account. But I should also be saying there's got to be some core to, of truth to what he's saying. Now, is it possible that Joe's just a bad actor and just evil? Yes, it is. How do I know that unless I listen to you? Their answer is you don't. You know what I'm hearing right now? Jocko and the Rock 2020. <laughs> That's what I'm hearing. Come on, son. I think. I need you. Yeah, well, um, I really hope it doesn't get to that what point. You're saying all makes fantastic sense, but the problem is everybody is so partisan. It's so difficult to get people to work together, and people are so they, there's they have so much invested in keeping this party divided by these party lines, keeping the country divided by the the right and the left. It's 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 so nuts. It, it's completely nuts. Yeah. It's completely nuts. And when you hear the extremists on either side, you you should say to yourself, you should say to yourself, they want us to fight, right? It's like yes. you know, here I'll 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 drop dime on myself. I'm a big like when I was a kid, in the SEAL teams, I was an instigator. If I could if I could talk smack to two different people and let them start to get escalating like they wanted to fight, I would do that all day long. Especially once I started training people jujitsu, you know, I'd I'd be the guy that was saying, "Oh, he's, he thinks he could take you now because he trained for two weeks. You haven't been here." And he'd be, what do you? He said that, you know. I would do that all day long, escalate. So we Why have to think. Why did you do that? Because it's fun to watch people fight to the death. That's what I did when I was on Fear Factor. <laughs> <laughs> I was always instigating people. Uh, it's fun. Yeah, there's there's some level of fun to it. Yeah, but fighting to the death is, is a different kind of fun. Yeah, but when you recognize that when people on the extremes are telling you extreme things, that what they want is to create a divide. Yeah. That's what they want. So that you just go, you know what? I just can't have that, so I'm voting here. Or I just can't have this, so I'm voting here. It's a, it's a, it's a nightmare. It is a nightmare, and it's a very difficult one to get out of. You need real leadership to get out of it. Yep. And that's just absent right now on both sides. Totally absent, and there's no middle ground. No. No, there's no one that says, well, you know, I, I, you know, I, I like some of Trump's policies. Right? Someone says that, it's like, oh, just destroy that you person. You must be a Nazi. Yeah. Or, you know, I agree with I agree with Nancy Pelosi on this thing. You must be, you, you must know, a communist. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Either way. But that's the way that's where we're at. Yeah. That's that's, we're at. that's why unfortunately 
well, fortunately, unfortunately, but if if The Rock was going to run, I think he would. Only, I think he would have to run as an independent, right? To just say, listen, I'm not down. There's some things I agree with over there. There's some things I agree with over there. So you know what I'm doing? I'm going in the middle, which is where most of America is. So if you want to vote extremist, you can go to this side. Other extreme, you can go to this side. Everyone else, vote for me. When was the last time someone even won as a governor that was an independent? Was it Jesse Ventura? (sighs) Possibly. Minnesota. Yeah, possibly. Might have been him. I mean, you never even hear about it. There's, yeah, well, there's, there's a whole, like, money thing that happens, yeah. right? There's mm-hmm. a whole money thing where if you're not a Republican or a Democrat, you're not going to get those big coffers full of money to put paid advertising out and hit, get people in the streets to vote for you. Yeah, you don't have the machine behind you. You don't have the DNC behind you or the Republican Party. Yeah, it's um, it's a real weird situation we find ourselves in with no clear path to sanity. No, there's no clear path path to sanity if we don't talk to each other and right now we're not Yeah, we're not I've seen uh, you know the p- people are so Just angry a- Just angry when you talk to them about this stuff Just anger comes out. It's horrible. It's horrible to watch. Yeah What what disturbs me is that I don't see I mean in the past when there's been disputes or things have been wrong. It seems like there's a, a clear path to to sort of work things out. It doesn't seem like a clear path. It, se- it seems like every day it kind of gets a little worse. Like people get ramped up even more. And then there's this event that's looming on the horizon. This November event. This election event. And no matter what, whether it's left or right, whether Biden wins or Trump wins, it's going to be madness and chaos. It seems hard for me to understand that Biden could it could maintain his health, you know, through a presidency. That seems very challenging to me. Yeah. I mean, it seems like he's been going down, you know, with his coherence level. You can kind of see it over even months, right? Yeah. He's on a really, really rapid downward spiral. Well, it, it seems, seems stressful for anybody except Trump for whatever fucking reason. That guy eats it up, but for most people running for president alone, just the grueling, just the, the schedule that's involved and traveling and doing all these speeches, and it it just breaks him down. I mean, one of the reasons why Hillary lost was she just wasn't willing to travel as much. There was all these different events mm-hmm. that she was supposed to go to. She just couldn't go. She couldn't take it anymore. She thought she was going to win anyway, so she just stayed, laid back. Yeah, yeah. It definitely is a brutal thing but it's really also just completely insane that the two candidates are these two people well yeah the, the, right well, first of all that the best the democrats could do i mean they had all these other people that were well-spoken yeah. he seemed like young and healthy and there's you know there's so many that is hard to comprehend yeah right Extremely. It's, it's really hard to comprehend that yeah that you're looking at these this group of whatever we got 350 million people 320 million people in america and this is this is who you end up with yeah i mean fucking anybody but biden anybody i mean we don't even know who his vice president is right that's going to make a big deal that's going to be a big difference because the vice president is compelling and interesting and he says he's going to pick a woman whether he picks uh the problem if he was going to pick klobuchar but mm-hmm. klobuchar was responsible for uh a lot of those guys yep. uh skating in minneapolis so well that's not good and then if he's going to go with kamala harris 
Tulsi Gabbard kind of took the legs off of that lady. Yeah. So then who's left? Mayor Pete? He seems like a guy who's just, you know, like he's got a playbook. He's kind of like following this Obama mm -hmm. playbook, and I just don't feel it from him at all. At least he's gay. We'd have a gay guy in office. That'd lighten people up a little bit. I believe that. We had a, a powerful gay leader. I think it'd be great for the country. Like, I think, you know, like, the, 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 one of the things about Obama being in office, beside the fact, being in office, beside the fact that he's very articulate and educated and just a well-spoken statesman, is that it's like, hey, look, we're making progress. We have a black president. Like, I felt that. I felt like a wave across the country. People like, you, you can be president in this country. Like, even if you're born out of a single family, single mother family, and you're a, a, a black guy, you can, you, as long as you got the goods, you can make it. Like, this is great. This means we really are living in a meritocracy. And it would be great if there was a gay guy that had the same experience. Like, like all the people that are homophobes, like, yeah, but that fucking Mayor Pete, he's got me. <laughs> he, yeah, he, I, I'm not, I, the Bible says, but you know what? <laughs> Fuck the Bible. I'm voting for that guy. He's better than Trump. I mean, that would be great. But he's just, not, I don't think he's the guy. Maybe that he's the guy someday, but he's also a young guy, right? So who else? Who the fuck is there? Especially since it's going to be Biden, and he said it's going to be a woman. He's definitely not going to go with Tulsi. She's too fucking dangerous. Yeah. The, the Democrats are scared of her. She doesn't play games. Which is so crazy. I know. She's got everything. She's everything, got everything they want. <laughs> woman of color, congresswoman, served overseas, uh, yeah. two deployments. Yeah. She's got everything. She's really, super articulate. Super articulate. She's level-headed. Super level-headed. Very intelligent. Yeah. But she's just not corrupt. <laughs> she's got this one problem. <laughs> That's uh, the one problem. I mean, other than that, you look at it like, Jesus Christ, this lady, she's willing to uh, talk to people on the other side. She's, you know, she's a, a stateswoman. She's a, you know, the way she speaks, she speaks like a leader. Mm-hmm. They won't even consider her. She's too dangerous. Well, so I'm who else is there? I'm going back to uh, DJ, Dwayne The Rock Johnson. Yes! That's I'm, what I'm, I'm saying. I'm going back to independent. him. Independent. Yeah, as an independent. Yeah. And Dwayne and Jocko, 2020. <laughs> Come on, man. We need you. Uh, it's, it's very, very, it's very sh horrible. And, and when I see all this divide, right, this is one thing that just... To, to have been in the military and to been on the battlefield and fought alongside guys of every background, every background that you can imagine, white, black, Mexican, whatever, Puerto Rican, Asian, they're all, everyone's out there. Everyone's out there. And by the way, going to memorial services for these guys overseas, there's not one thought in your head. There's not one thought in your head that's thinking, oh, underneath the, the flag on that coffin, is that a black guy or is that a white guy? Not one thought in your head is thinking that in any way, shape, or form. All you know is that that person took a bullet, got blown up. That could be me. They took that for me. And to come back here and, and now see this, this, this country being ripped apart, it's, that's the most horrible thing for me. This is something that gets discussed a lot by guys in teams and uh, by different guys in the military, period, that when you've served overseas with, with these guys, that racism becomes the, the, least, the least considered thing. 
It's you, you, your brothers because you're literally the consequences of your actions, the consequences of your day to day existence is so, so dire life and death. It's the, the most drastic consequences that we are aware of. There's nothing you're losing your life or you're not or they save you or they don't. You're brothers. You're all together. But in this world, the consequences are less grave and the requirements of people are less extreme. You're not as tested. You're not your character is not as exposed. You are not as you're not as vulnerable in that sense. And because of that, I think people are more outraged and they're finding more reasons why we're separate, more reasons to divide us, more reasons why they're different from us, whether it's because of ideology or skin color. You know, Sam Harris has a podcast where he's discussing all the different things, and he brings up one really great point, the podcast that's out now. He said, could you imagine a world where we, we think of color the same way we think of hair color? Like the, the color of people's skins the same way. Could you imagine a world where I don't trust redheads? You know, I don't, those people with dark brown hair are fucking creepy to me. You know, uh, all the people in my neighborhood that are blonde, they're all shady. Like, that seems so preposterous. Well, one day, the goal would be so great if one day, that's how we feel about all skin color. That it's no different than hair color. It's just characteristics that you were born with that you have no control over. Who you are is what's important. That's it. Yeah, and I think that's, that's, what, that's the position that the military puts you in. It puts you in this position of, look, I got to rely on this guy. I, I got to rely on this guy. And if they're reliable, I'm down. I'm good. If they're not reliable, I got a problem. And it doesn't matter what color they are. It doesn't matter what they're, it doesn't matter any of that. It's like, is this person going to be there? Is this a good person that's going to be there to back me up? And that's all we care about. And so for me, this is like super regressive to be going through the, to to watch the country go through this and think, how did, wait, wasn't I just 10 years ago, like overseas with a bunch of guys and we didn't care about any of this, didn't, didn't, didn't enter into our minds. We're not looking at it all the time. And I, I guess part of it is because you got to, you're in a, you're in a fight, you're in a struggle. And, yeah. and right now, let's face it in America, there's not a lot of struggling happening. Right? Well, we're kind of making our own struggle right now. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And I think one of the things you've talked about that's very important is that a lot of this divide is because of this really shitty way of communicating, whether it's through social media or whether it's through reading stories or watching videos. It's a terrible way to not just get in for information, but it's a terrible way to interact with people. Like the way to interact with people is the way you and I are doing it right now, just talking to people. And I think the vast majority of problems would be solved amongst reasonable people if they just talked through. They just talk to try to figure out, you know, you know, hey, man, I didn't like that you did this. Well, what did I? Well, all right. Well, I was thinking when I did this, here's what you're right. Here's why I did it. And this is what I was thinking. And I was wrong because of that. And if people could just say that and people could accept that and people could shake hands or hug it out rather than have a fucking Twitter beef that leads to a gunfight. I mean, literally, that's the, the, the way we exchange information with each other back and forth through social media is the absolute worst way people can talk. You're not looking at each other. You don't get any social cues. You don't feel any empathy towards that person. You're not in front of them. You're not there. And you're looking to see how many people agree or disagree, who's liking or dislike, because it's a public thing, right? So how many likes do they get? 
that their thing got 400 likes. Mine only got 20. Shit. Am I wrong here? It's it's just a terrible way for us. It's it's a a newfound way for us to communicate and a terrible way for us to communicate. It's not we're not designed for it. This is not how we evolved. We evolved to communicate with social cues and to look at each other and be around each other. And, you know, you, you could say something to a person and uh, you, you, you're both laughing or you see it written down the same way. And you're like, you that guy's them. a fucking asshole. Yeah. You know? we, even from a leadership perspective, you know, we'll talk about this a lot with, hey, I'll, you know, I sent you, I'll send you an email, you know, that says... Hey, Joe, can you get this project done next week? Thanks. And you're in a bad mood when you read that, you know? Yeah. You're going, who the hell do you think you're telling? But if I was like, hey, Joe, can you get this project done by next week? We really need it. And I'm looking at you and kind of give me a blank stare, and I explain it to you a little bit more, and all of a sudden it turns into a perfectly good conversation. Exactly. But when I send you that email, or in this case, a tweet, Right. Then you you hate me. <laughs> yeah, it's like we got management to do, right? Yeah. You got to when when you want something out of someone or you want you want some things to get done, you got to manage that person's personality and mood and you got to manage the relationship that you have with each other. And you, you have to be proactive. You have to you'd have to call them what's up, man. How you doing? Everything good? You good? Like they have to get a good feeling out of you. Yeah. And yeah. you got to say, "Listen, I, I got to ask you this favor. I need this thing from you." <laughs> And then, and then you're rolling, and everything's good. <laughs> exactly. If, if you don't do it that way, then people go, fuck this guy. Well, this guy just wants things from me, or this guy's annoying, or you know, th th this guy's treating me like a bitch. Exactly. Yeah. The uh, world through Zoom right now, so we're doing a lot of Zoom meetings, so my company, Ashland Front, the, just the video alone increases your ability to communicate, right? M massively. It yes. doesn't get all the way there. Right. But just being able to look at someone and have a conversation with them as opposed to either just a hearing them on the phone or absolutely. So so that idea of, hey, I'm actually going to sit down and talk to you. I'm, I'm actually going to sit down. Hey, well, I'll meet you. The are like we pivoted, obviously, once, you know, we used to go into or we still do, but going into businesses and working with them, shaking hands. How you doing? Talking to them. And then all of a sudden in three days, we were doing everything online, everything. Hey, meet me on this Zoom call and you can get there. You can get 97 percent effectiveness just by looking at someone and talking to them you, you know it's, like i said there's a little percentage that you're still not going to get but if you think you're going to communicate effectively through social media tweets <laughs> you're just freaking wrong yeah that's one step <laughs> below email right yeah. social media tweets is one step below email emails one step above that phone calls is one step above that zoom is a step above that yep. another layer person to person is the best person to person that's is how the best. We're, that's what we're designed for yep. everything else is just it's and and that's what's leading to all this fucking madness and chaos. Madness. A lot of it is fueled. It's weaponized by by social media tweets and yeah. Because by the way, when you send me a tweet to be to be an asshole to me, I I actually just retweet that and tell everyone what an asshole you are. A bunch <laughs> of people retweet it as well. It's yeah. freaking mayhem. Oh God. We're not we're not working together. You know, that's an, we're not we don't we're not, we're not working together. Right. That's another thing that COVID did. Right. All right. of a sudden we took everyone and isolate them. You're not you're not seeing them. Yeah. You're not talking to them. So now everyone is almost strictly communicating by these methods that you're talking about. Yeah. This is horrible. Horrible for society. Horrible for society. The uh, the idea of coming to work in a place, right? The idea of, hey, I'm gonna show up and work at a place with other people. That is such a huge part of 
getting back to where we need to be. Like when you pull everyone out of work and you, and, and, and even worse, and I'm not even just beyond COVID, well, you know, what happens we've moved all manufacturing overseas, right? So all those people that used to go and work in the same place every day, that used to show up and have a common mission and a common goal, they don't have that anymore. M- much of the middle class doesn't have that anymore. They used to have it. They don't have it anymore. And that's, interestingly, China's middle class is growing right now. Why is their middle class growing? Because they're manufacturing. They're making things. They're filling that void of people that have that level of skill set of, hey, you know what? I just got out of high school. I can't afford college. So what am I going to do? Right? Oh, well, in China, well, you can say, okay, well, I guess I'm going to work at a factory. Hey, it's a horrible sweatshop. It's whatever. We need that. They need to improve their, their conditions. But hey, these people have a job. They have a purpose. They're moving in a certain direction. In America, we've kind of, on a massive scale, gotten rid of that class of people's purpose. And that's a big focus for you, right? With your, your company origin in particular. Yeah. Oh. Which, uh, by the way, I got the boots. They're fucking dope. <laughs> you guys make great shit. It's like really high quality, really beautifully manufactured stuff. Like, And there's something very valuable right now about American made. It used to be... It was very divisive. Like if you said American made, like what are you, xenophobic? You don't like foreigners? What the fuck is wrong with you? But now you realize like, oh, with, well, with COVID, you know, we were cut off from even getting goods and supplies from other countries. And then we were getting so much of our medical supplies from China. And then we we're getting so much of our vaccines and medicine, all these different things manufactured by China. You're like, hey, why don't we do that here? Well, we used to, but uh, it was cheaper by like a, a dollar a thing to send it over there. Like, oh, Christ. And people are realizing now there's a there's a great benefit to making things here in America. And it's not just this idea of national pride. National pride's great, but also like you don't you don't have to go anywhere to get things and you keep jobs here. Yeah. And I think uh Kanye West is looking to build same same thing as we're doing. He wants to manufacture stuff in America. Why? Because he knows when you have a bunch of underprivileged kids the best thing you can provide a bunch of underprivileged kids is jobs, jobs that they can entry level jobs. I you know when I was a kid, it was almost like, hey, if you're not careful, you're going to end up working in the factory, right? That's what's going to, you know, you can end up working in a factory. No one wanted a factory job. The thing is, so, so that kind of became a mantra. Oh, you, you don't want to work in a factory. You better go to college. Well, there's fact, first of all, factory work has changed. There's jobs that people do in a factory that takes a massive skill set. And the boots, you know, the, the origin boots, we were, pro- we're probably a, a year, two years, three years from losing the knowledge of how to actually do that. And luckily, my buddy Pete has started, you know, grabbing people that know how to do it and passing that information down to the next generation so we can actually be a self-sufficient country. And we can bring back those jobs of people that look, that's a, that's a proud way to make a living. These are craftsmen. Like you said, these are craftsmen and craftswomen, by the way, our factory is mostly filled with women and they're out there. They have a skill set. They're learning a skill set. There's up, there's upward mobility. As you get better at your job, as you can do more things, you can make more money. And by the way, you're making something. You're making something with your hands. You're producing something here in this country. 
That's just like, well, it's like when you go hunting, when I go hunting, you get something for yourself. There's a certain feeling mm. of being self-sufficient. And America on a large scale, especially during COVID, we look up and say, wait a second, we, we, can't even, we can't even make that stuff? We don't even know how to make that? That's a nightmare. Well, the boots in particular. Think, think about it. if you started from scratch, like if I started from scratch, I don't know shit about how to make a boot. If I had a, I had, it would take, there's a long learning curve of figuring out how to make an excellent boot that fits right and is well-made and durable, like those boots that you guys sell. Like I was going over, I was looking at this thing. I'm like, they fucking put some time and effort into this thing. Like this is a really well-crafted piece of, of art. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's functional artwork. And that knowledge, cause that's not, that's not, uh, that's not our generation that learned that right. we're, we're pulling that information from the old shoe dogs up in Maine mm. that are 60 years old, 70 years, almost, you know, out of the workforce, having to bring them back into the workforce to, to educate the younger generation on how to actually do this. We got a kid up there. His name is Cameron. Oh, he's 22, 20, he's a young kid. And he has learned now how to weave the material for our geese. So he's the guy that knows how to weave material. This is the, bro. This is so complicated where you see all these different pieces of string coming together, get this big machine with. So he's got like a loom. Yeah, he's got, we've got looms up there, but we had to get the knowledge right from the old timers that said, okay, let me show you how to do this. And like you just said, how long would it take to figure out a loom on your own? First of all, I think I would fail because I don't think I'd have the patience if I just yeah. had this machine to look at. So capturing this knowledge so that we can become a self-sufficient country again it's got to be paramount in what we're doing. And it's not just, it's not just, hey, because I'm pro-America. Yes, I am. But if, if we want to get rid of the kind of social unrest that we have right now. Hey, in Ramadi, you got a 15-year-old kid that's putting a roadside bomb in the road. You know why he's doing that? Is he doing it for some big ideology? No, he's not. He's doing it because he's going to get paid $50 by the insurgents. He wants a job. He wants a life. He wants to make money. What happens in America? What happens with kids in the inner city that are un underprivileged when they don't have a job? What are they going to do? What are they going to do? They're going to fall into, oh, maybe I'll sell drugs. Maybe I'll commit robberies, whatever I'm going to do. But they're not doing it by choice in many cases. Or if they're doing it by choice, it's because they don't see any other choices to even make. So we've let our manufacturing go away. And now we've got voids. We've got voids where people don't have an ability to make an income. And that's, 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 that's just a complete loss of pride, right? If you don't have the ability to earn money, to take care of yourself, to take care of your family, if you don't have that ability, what are you going to do? You're going to figure out how to make it happen. It's so short-sighted too. I mean, it was all done for just a small amount of profit <sighs> per item. Small amount of profit per item, and it, and it cost the country so much. Yep, and 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 then the then the narrative became we're not able to do it. That's why we don't do it. We're not able to do it. That became the narrative. Well, you know, even the big corporations would say, well, you know, we'd love to we'd love to make stuff here, but it's impossible. It's impossible. Well, that's ridiculous. To, completely and totally ridiculous. It's also like. You, when you go through Detroit and you realize that Detroit at one point in time in the early 20th century was one of the richest countries in the world, or excuse me, one of the richest cities in the world. You, you, you go through it and you realize, okay, this is where they were making all the fucking badass cars. 
All the amazing American cars of the 60s and the 70s, they were all made right there. And then they fucked up. Someone made some decisions to save a little bit of money and make a little bit of money and completely short-sighted, didn't look at the economy as a whole, didn't look at the nation from a position of a patriot, someone who looks at the country in a whole, what's best for the country? And just said, what is the best way that we can maximize our profit? Well, we, we need to set up factories in Mexico and China and all, the, all these other places we can get people to work for nothing. You can't buy a fucking cell phone that's made in America. All the people that design and engineer cell phones for Apple, they're right here. Mm -hmm. They're not making them here. There's not a fucking single cell phone that's made in America. Try buying one that's made with all American parts, all American labor in America. We, you, you, what? No that such thing. doesn't and, exist. And what you're going to be told is it can't be done. That's hilarious. Cannot be done. That's what's cool about Elon Musk. He's yes. like, oh, watch this. Yeah, exactly. I'll, I'll make cars here. I'll make them awesome. Yeah. I'll make rocket ships, <laughs> whatever the yeah. hell else that guy's making. Fucking tunnels <laughs> under the earth. Yeah, we need a couple more of those dudes. Uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's good that people are opening their eyes, though. It's good that people are realizing because of the pandemic and because of the fact that all goods and services that were being imported on a daily basis were shut down. Yep. And also people are terrified of getting things over there. What are you going to spray everything down? Everything's infected. And what do you, what, I'm, I'm scared. What do I do? Yeah. But the medicine is the craziest one. The fact that we rely on China for some ungodly percentage of all of our medicine. Like, holy shit, guys. Like, is this the right way to do this? Just for profit? Yeah. It's, it seems like we got a little bit lucky with covid yes like right a little bit lucky because it turned out to be not not bad did you ever get the antibody test no fuck i should have tested you today mm. sorry because you think you might have had it right i'm so <clears throat> the end of january right right as this thing was kicking off i did a live tour i did austin then i did washington dc <laughs> then i did new york city seattle san francisco and la every event shook hands and bro hugged between a thousand and two thousand people mm. that's what i did at the end of january i went to the the absolute like ground zero locations for covid and just just bro hugged and talked to a bunch of people and shook hands and you know just got after it and then i got sick uh yeah like a week later something two weeks later i guess it was february i was sick and I was like, hmm, gee, I wonder what that is. And then, and then March came around, and what we started hearing sick? the 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 sick, like you Coffin. know, it wasn't real bad. It wasn't real bad, but it was it was you know, it was bad enough that uh, you know, I I think I might have skipped like, I'm just gonna stretch today because I really feel like crap for a workout type of thing. Mm -hmm. So I didn't get, I wasn't down hard. I wasn't in, an, I didn't miss any, I didn't miss anything, but I felt bad. And so I figured that was my that was my COVID experience. My wife got sick. My son got sick, two daughters in college, and my young daughter didn't get sick at all. My 10-year-old daughter didn't get that sick at all. So I said, eh. Sounds like it. Yeah. But oh. did you have it or not? No, I didn't. I'm making a fucking text right now. I'm going to get a doctor in here in an hour and a half when we're done. <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make this happen because I want to find out. You would be the only guy that's tested positive if you did. No, we had uh, Tim's buddy. What's his name, Ben? Yeah, but he didn't. He didn't. False positive. Then we tested him again. Uh, yeah, I think it would be, I think it would be crazy if that travel schedule that I had, sitting on all those airplanes from and to and from all those different airports in all those airports, that's just that's just crazy. Yeah. All right. I'm asking right now. Can we get one at three thirty? Bam. Gonna make it happen. <laughs> that was another. You know, we were talking about egos. 
the 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 scary thing about the whole COVID unraveling was that the leadership wouldn't say, "Hey, you know what? I actually think I was wrong about this, and we're moving in this direction now." Right. Uh, not just leadership, but everyone. Right. Everyone just, "Hey, no, you know what? I'm, I think I was wrong here. But maybe we need to adjust this." Here's so you you didn't get to see that. That's a great point because that that really was a failure of leadership because it was very clear at some point in time when they found out. When they did the large-scale antibodies test, particularly in California, and they were like, Jesus Christ, hundreds of thousands of people have been exposed to this. This is not what we thought. Like, And the amount of people that are actually sick, instant result back. Um, COVID, amount, inbound. You're dead. The, the amount of people that, um, that actually tested positive for the antibodies was way higher than they thought it was. Yeah, yeah. And the amount of people that were actually hospitalized was way lower. And then they looked at the average death that people died. It's actually older than the average death that people died. <laughs> yeah, yeah. My like, son pointed that out to me. Yeah, we, we shut down the fucking economy for that? Yeah. Like, I guess I was, was a little bit whatever. I was, pretty, I was pretty cavalier through the whole thing. Our buddy, Dr. Pete. Yeah. He, he was, Peter he, Atiyah was, yeah. he was a little nervous. Well, he was way nervous because he was in early, right? right? And when you saw the early stuff... Yes. When you're like, hey, it's one out of every 10 people are dying. Right. But even he was making adjustments. He said, wait a second. In Italy, there's different cities. That was, I think, where yeah. he started changing his his attitude. Mm -hmm. He said, wait a second. In Italy, there's different cities. And in some cities, they're really compressed together. And people are old people living with young people in the same place. And, exactly. oh, wait a second. We need to separate this out. And then it just, hey, it wasn't as bad. Thank God. Yeah. Thank God it wasn't as bad. And. Uh, my buddy Andrew Schultz had a great point. He said, basically, COVID exposed weaknesses in both business and in people's health. That's what it really did. Yep. The, 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 yep. the, the lockdown did. Because there was businesses that literally couldn't survive a week without mm -hmm. money coming in. Well, that's a, that's a badly managed business or a, a business that has a very small and narrow profit margin. Yep. And then there's people that literally can't survive any sort of disruption in their immune system. Their immune system is shattered. One of the things that came out of it that I found out from Dr. Rhonda Patrick was that 70% of America is deficient in vitamin D. 70%. 29% is severely deficient to the point where like, they're, they're like, they have medical issues because of a deficiency in vitamin D. Yeah, you got to get on that. You got to get on the vitamin D for gotta sure. You got to get on the vitamin D, and the best way to get it is to get out in the sun. It's yeah. The, and that's the one thing you weren't supposed to do. The whole thing is fucking madness. It was a perfect storm. Yeah. It's like when the plague in the what, the black plague they thought it was they thought it was cats they thought cats delivered the plague to everyone so they killed all the cats but it wasn't the cats it was the rats and the mice and so when you killed the cats guess what happened to the rats and the mice they ah. went insane so it was almost the same kind of thing you yeah. see unfolding yeah and no one saying hey you know what actually we're wrong here right. hey you know what and what about the masks so this was crazy i got some buddies that texted me they said hey there's this thing coming you origin you guys should start making masks just to just to cover your face and i said oh okay i don't know anything about this stuff i talked to my buddy pete i said hey it sounds like that we're going to need to make masks and he says okay so we we start thinking about hey how would we make these things and then a couple days later the government the government comes out and says masks don't do anything don't worry don't don't wear masks don't get masks so i talked to pete i said hey man it looks like this isn't a good it looks like we don't need to do it because it looks like it doesn't help at all Five days later, they're like, everyone wear a mask at all times. And by the way, we're going to pass laws 
that require you to wear a mask. I'd call Pete. I'm like, it looks like we need to make masks, you know, and we ended up making hundred, a couple hundred thousand masks. And we were, we were sending them to, this is the weird thing. We're sending them to hospitals. Like we donated thousands of masks to hospitals and, and, and then, you know, two weeks later it was like, no, actually they don't do anything. I still don't know. Well, <laughs> it's hard to, the, the problem is people get shamed and the, the World Health Organization came out and basically said the only reason you should be wearing a mask. Where is the CDC? No, the world. Here it is. Fauci said U.S. government held off promoting face masks because it knew shortages were so bad that even doctors couldn't get enough. So is he just saying that now? No, oh, this boy. morning or today, as, like, since we started. So guess what? Oh, you all, every we all got lied to. We all got lied to. Held but, off on promoting face masks because it knew shortages were so bad, but even then, doctors couldn't get enough. Recently, the CDC said the only people that should be wearing masks are people that are treating COVID patients, and that regular people shouldn't be wearing masks. And then the World Health Organization said that asymptomatic people, it's extremely rare that they transmit to other people. So we were worried about asymptomatic people, which is the reason why we kept kids right. out of school. And we were worried about overwhelming the hospitals, which is yeah. why we did all this other stuff as well. Which and is what drove hospitals. me crazy about my kid's school. I was like, hey, you fucks, this doesn't even kill the kids. It's killing <laughs> the kids get killed by the flu. Meanwhile, you don't even scan the teachers or the staff or anybody. People have the flu. They don't want to miss a day of work. They just fucking show up and give it to everybody. That's normal. And kids actually die from the flu. And it's not a small number. It's not a small number of people that die from the flu. Last year was 62,000. I mean, it's not as many as COVID, but then you're hearing, you're hearing two camps. You're hearing, one, the, the COVID deaths are actually underreported because a lot of people die from COVID and they don't even register it. Okay. Boy, I guess it's worse than it is. And then you're hearing, no, no, no. Actually, we're getting incentivized to report yeah. deaths as COVID. Elon Musk on the podcast said if you got killed by a shark, but you were COVID positive, <laughs> they would list it as a COVID death. Obviously, he was being facetious. Yeah. But it, not entirely. Because there's a lot of people with leukemia that also had COVID listed as a COVID death. Obesity, heart attacks listed as a COVID death because they tested positive for COVID. Cancer also had covid COVID death. Yeah. I mean, fuck. That's really disturbing. You know, when you hear those statistics, then you see these things that they're saying, and just the lack of trust that you end up with the government. Exactly. When the government is already, people just generally don't really trust the government a lot, right? Right. There's no one that's always thinking the government is always giving them the straight skinny. And it goes back to this clickbaity bullshit. My wife pointed out this story yesterday where she's reading about this kid that died, 17-year-old kid, perfectly healthy. It says she reads into the article type one diabetes <laughs> type one diabetes is yeah. not perfectly healthy. No, no. that's and really sick and fucking dangerous. And you have to take insulin to stay alive. Yeah. And think you can get complications yes. from di like, oh, everyone's living di type one diabetes. Diabetics can live real normally and then they can have an instance that causes them to die. Yeah, they can have their foot removed. Yeah, there's all sorts of shit that goes wrong when you have diabetes. Your immune system is severely compromised. But it's like we're, we're our information, it's not pure. We're no. getting all this muddy thing. And Fauci telling us the only reason why they told us not to wear masks is because they, did, they knew you didn't have enough. Like, holy shit. How many people died because of that, you fuck? And then the World Health Organization says, actually, no one died because of that. You don't have to worry about it. You really don't need to wear a mask. Yeah. Like, fucking, what is happening? The 
I think so much of this ego plays so much into this of people not wanting to admit they're wrong. Yes. Not wanting to, here's another thing that people won't say. I don't know. Right. I don't know. Like as a leader, I've been in situations where I did not know. For, this is something I tell leaders all the time. I say, listen, tell your people the truth about what's happening. By the way, we're seeing examples where this is factually not happening inside America right now. If you're a leader, tell the people the truth about what's going on. That's what you need to do. And then people come back to me and they say, well, what if, what if I don't know what, what if I don't know the truth? Then what you do is you say, Hey, I don't know the truth. Hey guys, I don't know. I don't know exactly how this is going to play out. These are some contingencies that I'm preparing for. That is so much more acceptable from the troops than when you try and pretend like you know what you're talking about and it turns out you're wrong. Right. I mean, Trump does this so much that people lose track of it, right? Where right. he thinks something and he just goes out on a limb. And he just yeah. walks right out on a limb and says, hey, this COVID stuff will be gone in a week. Yeah. And, and you know, then he just saws off the limb behind his foot. He does that all the time. It's, it's a good example of how not to lead because then people start to trust you less and less. And then when things like this happen where you find out that they actually did purposely now think if they would have said this like oh we're worried about we don't have enough masks then you know what you come out and say you come out and you say listen everyone we're not a hundred percent sure what the masks do for people but we do know this inside of a medical environment we have to prioritize getting those people that are absolutely exposed these masks that is why we are going to put a, a some kind of a control over who's allowed to buy them you just tell the truth. Well, that was kind of happening at some places. Like Amazon was only doing that. They were only selling those. What is it? N95. N95s. Yeah, they were selling them only to hospital workers. And there you go. They, they were allocating them along with uh, other types of uh, hand sanitizer and a bunch of different things they were selling specifically to them first and first responders. Perfect example. Yeah. What you don't do is say, hey, everyone, don't worry about it. Right, right, what Fauci <laughs> did, but if him, if he's saying that, like, well, hey, fucko, now we can't trust you ever again. Exactly. Yeah. Well, that's, that's the freaking problem. Yeah. You're well, looking at this guy, next time there's some kind of disease, next time there's a problem, yeah. how well, do we know if we can listen to you or there's not? There's also a thing he was saying a couple of weeks ago, that if the United States doesn't open up soon, we could, we could face permanent damage. I was uh, like, oh, economic yeah, damage? Yeah, permanent economic damage. You think? Yeah, and I'm like, wait, <laughs> hey, 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 how come you didn't say this before? How come you didn't say, hey, we have to weigh in the pros and the cons here? Yeah, you know, you you should have, and I, this is actually something that I uh, I talked to P Peter T about it. I said, hey, it seems like maybe some people should be quarantined yeah. and other people shouldn't. And he's like, yeah, absolutely, 100%. So like my dad, who's an older guy. Who's, you know, he's an older guy, compromised immune system. Guess what? He should be isolated. Yes. He should be quarantined. Yeah. Should my 17 year old son, should my 20 year old daughter, my 20, 20, 18 year old, my 10 year old, should they be in isolation? Should they be quarantined? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Hey, first week, two weeks where we're hearing it's a 10% bother, you know, we're hearing all these things. Cool. You can make an, you can make an in extremist call. You can say, hey, guys, I don't know what's happening, but in Italy, it looks real bad. Guess yeah. what we're going to do? We're going to shut down for two weeks. I'm sorry, but this is what we're going to do. And you yeah. go, the, the nation says, ah, okay. Okay, we get it. And then two weeks later, you say, you know what? It looks like it's, it really might impact our medical systems. We're going to shut down for another two weeks. Just another two weeks. And everyone goes, you know, I got to pay my mortgage, but okay, two more weeks. And then you say, then you got to have the courage and 
the ability to put your ego in check and say, you know what? Thank you. Maybe may not have been necessary. We don't know right now, but it looks like we can start opening back up. Let's rock and roll. The other problem is once they tell you what to do, they don't want to stop oh, having no. that power and control. Oh, yeah, they love our that. Our governor literally said, wear masks because then we can get back some of our freedoms. Yeah. You're going to give away freedom? <laughs> you got that kind of power? Maybe I should run for governor. Yeah. I didn't know I could just control freedoms. You got my vote. Uh, give away freedoms? The, the, the business is surviving, right? You're talking about the business is surviving. There's a lot of businesses that, especially little businesses, right? Little jujitsu schools, little restaurants. You want a restaurant to operate on 50% capacity? That you, Restaurants aren't making this kind of money where they can throw away 50% of their profits. Right, exactly. 50% of their capability to make money. They still, because they still got to have that cook. Yeah. That, that cook is there, the dishwasher's there, right? There's your bare minimum. Yeah. And they got to be there no matter what. If you serve 50 people, great. If you only serve 25, you don't make any money. Yeah. So there's all there's going to be there's a lot of businesses that run that day-to-day, you know, month to month, paycheck to paycheck to try and stay afloat. That's the that's what America does. And sometimes they're able to creep out of that and they get ahead and that's awesome. That's how you end up with these big powerful companies. Yeah, I've had a couple of restaurant owners in uh, Adam Perry Lang who owns uh, APL Steakhouse and uh, Janet Zuccarino and uh, Evan Funky who own um they own uh, Felix. Well, he, she owns Felix. Janet owns Felix, and uh, he's the head chef. And they were explaining to me profit margins, and uh, it's fucking crazy. It's it's when you you really look at how difficult it is to run a restaurant and all the decisions that have to be made. And you know, food goes bad if you keep it too long, and you got to buy a certain amount of food. You anticipate a certain amount of customers. You got to know your customers. He was explaining, you got to, we, we know our customers. So I, I know most of them are not going to order this. So I'm going to have a certain amount of meals that I'm going to have of the fish and more meals of the steak and the pasta is primary. That's what most people are coming here for. And like, fuck. And then you tell them, Oh, you can only open up at sixty percent, and waitresses have to wear a fucking hazmat suit. And you know, it's like, <laughs> God damn, man. What are they? Ten percent, fifteen percent, five percent profit margin? I think they were saying fourteen yep. percent is how they operate. Um, but it's difficult. It's very difficult, and you know, people don't want to spend too much money on meals. You know, and so they, it has to be kind of engineered. Like how 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 can you? How can you do it right? And Janet has had a ton of successful restaurants. Like she's a wizard at it. I mean, she's been doing it straight out of college. And her problem was she was in the process of building multiple restaurants. So all of her money were, were out, even though she's extremely profitable and very, very successful at all these restaurants. She's building out all these other restaurants at the same time mm -hmm. with that money because she knows how to make money. Yeah. She knows how to run these businesses, so she's doing it. So she's got a Jamaican restaurant. She's got a, a, an Italian restaurant. She's got all these things happening. And then, boom, mm -hmm. the government tells you you have to shut down. That's and, Yeah, that's uh, the, the profit margin. So there's so many businesses, you know, because we work with all kinds of different businesses. Yeah. And the profit margin on many, many businesses is really, really lean. One of my favorite examples is big construction companies. Big construction companies that are doing, you know, $500 million projects or, you know, $700 million bridges and coliseums and stuff. Their profit margin is like 4%. Holy shit. 4%. Holy 5%. shit. 5%. If they do awesome, it's like 6%. 
That is so insane. And they're, you know, ordering concrete and they've got to have it show it up a certain time and then the rebar wasn't in place. Like, it's crazy. They're, the margin for error is so small. And there's so many businesses that operate like that. And a lot of times I think some of the people in government, they've never been in business before. Right. And so they don't understand that for them, hey, just operate at 50% capacity inside your restaurant. You'll be fine. That's a very good point. And they, but they've never run a business. You know, I have a jiu-jitsu gym. We got shut down. So yeah. now, now, well, now they're telling us, hey, you can allow people back in the gym. They just have to be six feet apart. Well, you can't do jiu-jitsu six feet apart. You can't do Muay Thai six feet apart. So what are we supposed to do now? And by the way, what about, oh, you want us to check people and we want to have this. There's all these protocols that are putting in place to have someone come into the gym. So now we got to hire extra people. We got to hire extra cleaning staff because the gym has to shut down for this period of a day and they need to re-clean everything. Like obviously the people that are making these rules have never been in it, never been in business before. Yeah. Telling a person who is running a jujitsu gym, the people have to be six feet apart. <laughs> the whole jujitsu is zero apart. <laughs> zero feet apart. Zero, zero space. That's the whole goal of jujitsu yes, is. is smash. <laughs> it's the whole goal. Take your body and smash someone's body with it. The, the whole idea is no space. Yeah. That literally is the foundation of jujitsu, a pressure applied with no space. Mm -hmm. And this goes back to the idea of, as a leader, taking the information from the frontline troops and yeah. saying, how you tell me what's a good way to run this. You tell me. You tell me what's a good way to run this, and let's see if we can figure out a solution well, to this problem. Well, you would really want to talk to jujitsu gym owners. And my suggestion, I've never run a jujitsu gym. I've been in a shitload of them. My suggestion would be have people fill out a waiver so they waive their rights. Have people fill out a form that says, I have not tested positive. I've showed no symptoms of illness. I, I promise that if I do, I will not train and I will get myself tested. Testing is readily available now. You know, for a long time, we were getting shamed because we were testing people. Yeah, I was, I was tracking on that. Angry that we were testing people. Like, look. You can test people too, you fuck. Just like you could buy a steak. It just costs money. You know, are you mad that people have steak and you can't afford a steak? Well, you know, there's people, there are different stages of life, you know, in this game called society and capitalism and, and advance, you start off at square A, you know, everybody starts at a different spot, granted, but I started at the bottom and you figure out a way to get a fucking test. <laughs> and if you're in a spot right now in your life where you can't have a test, well, definitely don't go and expose yourself till we know what the fuck it is. But don't get mad if people can afford tests, you crazy fucks. Yeah. <laughs> and what we're at right now with jujitsu gyms is you should have a form that you fill out, just like when I was at a restaurant, I went to the Lonesome Dove restaurant, shout out to them in Austin, Texas, fantastic place. They make you fill out a little form. Says uh, you haven't been tested positive. You you know you don't you're not sick. You're not showing any symptoms. You know they do a little temperature check. Check your forehead. Oh, you're looking good. All right, come on in. Sit down. Did Eat. they pack you in or did they keep you? No, they keep you a little bit separated. But that was two weeks ago. And uh, there's another place, uh, Gus's Fried Chicken. Shout out to Gus's. <laughs> Best fucking fried chicken on earth in Austin, Texas. We went there two weeks ago, and you couldn't eat there. You had to wear a mask in the restaurant, and you had to order takeout. So we got takeout. Then we came back again yesterday. Yesterday, no fucking mask. Everybody's in there sitting. All the seats are packed. They strongly suggest you wear a mask. And no one's listening. No one wore a fucking yeah. mask. The waiters all wore masks. But it's like... 
things are getting different. And, uh, there was another restaurant, Red Ash, that we, we ate at uh, Saturday night. That place uh, had 75% capacity, and you had to wear a mask until you got to your table, and then you had to wear a mask again if you had to go take a leak. You had to put your mask back on, take a leak, come back, mm-hmm. and it doesn't make any sense. It's like there's they're just, just health department guidelines, and people they're trying to open up, and they don't want to get sued, and they don't want to get people mad, and like we're, 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 we're trying to protect everybody, but we don't know how to do it. And it doesn't matter what the science is. You, you could show them an article that shows that masks are bullshit, and they're, they're still going to tell you, but you're still going to wear your mask because we're playing a little game here. We're playing a game called keep people safe. Nobody's saying a goddamn thing about take your vitamins, drink water, work stay out, healthy, work out, good. get out in the sun. <laughs> None, no, no, the government never says that. You don't hear Governor Newsom with his fucking goofy slick back hair. He's not telling you to go work out and get in the sun. It's going to be a – I think America can only take so much. And I, I kind of said this from the beginning. Like, you can keep America in lockdown for a little while, two weeks, four weeks, and then people start saying, you know what? I got to go out. I got to go make something happen. I got to do something. I got to earn money. And it's the people that are looking around saying, uh, well, I don't really need to earn any money right now. They're the ones that are saying everyone stay in your house and don't come out and wear a mask. All right, we got a doctor coming at 3.30. No, I told nice. him I think I got you a positive this time. He's wanting to get a positive. He's like, fuck. Oh, he hasn't got any positives yet? A bunch yet? of goddamn healthy people in here. Yeah, I've had, um, now I've had, f- I think I've had seven, no, eight tests, one, two, three, four nose swabs. I've had four, yeah, four nose swabs and four antibody tests. I haven't, me personally, I've still come out negative every time. But the other thing that he said, and this doctor is a very smart guy and a young, healthy guy. He said, that doesn't mean you haven't been exposed to it. It Mm -hmm. means your immune system did its job. Really? This is another thing that people are saying. People are saying, oh, well, you just got lucky. You haven't been around someone who had it. He goes, no, no, no. Many of the people that I tested are positive are in a family where the other people that are also in that family are negative. So they have it. They've been around these people for fucking weeks, and they don't get it. Why? Because they have a better immune system, particularly children. So I guess I'm I'm in a win-win situation. Yeah. Because if I had it, if I tested positive, it was like, see, no factor. I powered through it. You beat it. Now, even if I didn't have it, I'm going to say, hey, see, I beat it. Yeah. I'm going to win-win. Yeah. (laughs) I know... Well, depending upon what your results are, I know nine people that have had it now. And out of those people, only one of them had it bad. And that was my friend Michael Yo, And he got it bad from – it's real easy to track. He flew all the way to New York, no sleep. What was the dates? He was in January. January, Jamie? No. Early February or late January? March. March? show in new york was march very beginning of so march. end of february okay. mm-hmm. end of february he was here yeah, yeah, yeah. and then he went yeah. okay so he left here that weekend went to new york no sleep right flies to new york does radio does tv also does his comedy gigs no sleep does gigs the next day same deal yeah. does promo all this shit flies back home no sleep gets up in the morning drives to vegas with his wife and kids the fucking kids screaming in the car bah! drives back home that night Hangs out with his wife's family in Vegas and drives back home that and so eight hours in the car just that day. Then the next day he's got auditions. The day after that he's got auditions. And then boom, hits the wall and he's fucked. And he feels like shit. Yep. And he felt like shit. <clears throat> By the way, his mom got it. She also tested positive. Beat it in a day. Hmm. How long was he down for? He was down for a week. But he ran himself to also vitamin D deficient. Uh... And so all those things ran himself down. Vitamin D deficient. Doesn't take care of himself. <laughs> So like, but but he caught the perfect storm of exhaustion and travel. Travel fucks you yeah. up. It fucks you up. Yeah, and I, 
uh, leading into this, I was tra- I've been traveling all the time my whole life. As a matter of fact, the lockdown is the lo- most consecutive nights I've ever spent with my wife <laughs> since we've been married. And we've been married for 20 years. Most consecutive nights because, you know, I was in the Navy. I was deploying. I was going yeah. on trips. And then when I retired, I was working with con- consulting all over the place. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. So it's been kind of cool hanging out with my wife night after night. All right. These are FDA approved kits, too. So we're good. So we're totally we're gonna good. Find we're going to find out for real. Fully legit. Doctors pumped. To find what do you positive. think? You think, I, you think I've had it or not? What do you think? Yeah, I would say because your kid, your youngest kid didn't get it, get sick. And then the other people did get sick, but no one got it badly. And I know your family's very healthy. I know mm-hmm. your, your daughter's a savage. Your son's a savage. <laughs> I would imagine you probably had it. Thinking yeah. about all the places you've been, I bet you, I bet you test positive for the antibodies. Yeah. I know a few jujitsu guys have got it. I've but got, they all just got coughs. Yeah. Like, oh, yeah. And plus, plus, on top of all this, I'm in my gym. You exactly. know, I was in my gym. Oh, we, yeah. We, you know, I got all kinds of... We, we have a lot of people that show up at my gym because they just want to train. They want to come check it out. Yeah, and my gym is big. You know, we've got 2,000 members, Do right? Really? Yeah, it's 2,000 members. Because it's not Give just a, a jiu-jitsu gym. gym. What's the, what's uh, the... Victory MMA and Fitness oh, in San Diego, California. Yeah. But, you know, so it's a big gym. Yeah. And, you know, every... 2,000 members, that means they're all interacting with, you know, three or four other people outside of the gym, if not five or 10 people. So, And they're literally sweating in each other's mouths. Complete. Oh, yeah, that's another thing. <laughs> that's another indicator. When I got sick, my main training partner, this guy, Andy, Andy Burke, who I trained with all the time, he got sick. Mm. And then his girlfriend got sick, who's mm. also a jiu-jitsu fighter, uh, MMA fighter. She got sick, too. So, Very uh, likely. We'll see. I'm curious. <laughs> it's hard. When you train hard, you get sick. It's part part of the, the thing, too. When you break down your body and your your immune system gets... You know, when you're one of those guys that trains really hard, you do have a tendency to get little colds because your immune system gets tested. Here's something that I've noticed. When I have downtime, like let's say this has happened to me a few times. I'm going to Montana and I'm, I'm super stoked. I'm going to go up there and chill, right? As soon as I get up there, I get sick. Really? It's happened to me like maybe three times where I, I finally have four days or five days where I, you know, don't have anything scheduled. I'm going to go up there. I'm going to shoot my bow. I'm going to chill. And I get up there and it's like my mind switches and all of a sudden I get sick. It's like I saved up illness (laughs) to where I know I can be allowed to get sick. Has that ever happened to you? No, but there's a good argument there for like. Just the way your mind controls your whole system. Yeah. Because your mind is just like pedal to the fucking yes. metal, slayer in the background. Everything is go, go, go. And then when it's silence, your body's like, fuck, man, what have we been up to? <laughs> I, I, f- I feel like that happens. Mm. I don't know. I, I was wondering if it ever happened to you because it's, it's, it's happened enough times that I'm talking about it, right? Well, my best example is Cam Haynes. That motherfucker's never sick. And if he's sick, he still runs anyway. Mm-hmm. He's just got, got like a little bit of a cough. Mm-hmm. But out of all the people that I know, I don't know anybody who, who's consistently putting in the kind of hours every day that he does. Oh, yeah. He runs 16 miles every man. fucking day. Yeah. Sometimes a marathon. Sometimes a marathon every day while he works eight hours a day. And then he gets home and lifts weights. I mean, it's not like he runs and, and, and he gets it. his reps in. Yeah, he gets his reps in with his bow yeah. every day. And he's lifting. And he's lifting yeah. every day. Yeah. Every day. He doesn't take days off. That fucking guy's never sick. If he's sick, it's like, <clears throat> the next day he's running again. Yeah. You're looking at his Instagram, it's, hey, it's a great day to run. He's out there fucking. <laughs> I, did, I think there's something to forcing your body to consistently and constantly perform. Totally. Yeah. Imagine uh, 
like Olympics, right? You're in the Olympics for wrestling, let's say, and you've got your whole entire life is on one day. Mm. If you get sick, it's like, yeah. Right. Anything bad happens that day? Yeah, you're done. Yeah, those big moments like that are fuck. I mean, you're you're so stressed out too, so your immune system is is super jacked. But I think there's a there's a thing about peaking for a big event, whether it's a fight or the Olympics or something, versus maintaining consistent conditioning. Mm -hmm. They're very different things. Like a good example is Tim Kennedy. Mm -hmm. Tim Kennedy went through, uh, I believe, two camps in a row. Camp fight got canceled, kept training, yeah. went through another full camp, and then when he fought Calvin Gastelum, yep. he, that guy's never tired, and yep. he was gassing out in the fight. And there's a real good indication from all involved that it was because of overtraining. I know that when I would train fighters, you could absolutely see when they would overtrain. It wasn't a big question. You'd go in, you'd have a fighter that's whatever level at, let's say, let's say jiu-jitsu, because I'm training jiu-jitsu with them. And every day, you know, they're, they, they feel a certain level. And then one day you come in and you train with them and they're just, a, they just suck. Mm. And I would tell them, I'd say, like, hey man, two days off, go eat some steak. Cause yeah. you would know hundred percent that they're overtrained. Yeah. hundred percent. What do you tell vegans? Two days uh, off, eat some steak? Yeah. I would tell them definitely eat some steak. <laughs> <laughs> you need that steak. Get some, get some steak in you. Yeah. Just give them an elk. Just give them just a one good piece of backstrap. Just, just try. Just trust me. Just eat it and run through a fucking wall. <laughs> yeah, that's the really weird thing about watching people go through camps, through fight camps. Mm -hmm. And you know, I really, I, I basically don't train fighters anymore like I used to, just because I don't have time anymore. But you would, you would work so hard to make sure that uh, on that night that they're there, yeah. that they're there. And some people get in the cage and they do better than they would normally do. Some people get in the cage and they don't do as good. And you got, you know, Jeremy Stevens is a great example because especially when he f first came out and started training with me, and he's not, he's not with us anymore, but when he first started training with us, like he was a white belt in jiu-jitsu. But man, when he got in the cage, he would just elevate, man, like mentally, yeah. <laughs> psychologically elevate. And he would perform way better in the cage. And then I've had other fighters that you'd get, like they would be kicking people's asses in training and then they get in the cage and it's a down step. Mm -hmm. And it's so hard to see that. So hard is because sometimes those guys are very committed and they're working hard and they're doing great and they just get in there and they just. It's a psychological thing. You know, some people are dwarfed by the moment. It's very interesting to see. It's uh, some people are also afraid of the embarrassment of losing. That's a big one. And they can't trust the process. They can't just they can't just remove themselves and just go out there and fight. Mm -hmm. you, do you follow Muay Thai at all? A little bit, but not to any great extent. There's a guy who uh, George St. Pierre brought into uh, his training camp when he was doing the Ultimate Fighter. Uh, John Jean-Paul Skarbowski. Mm -hmm. And he's this French savage Muay Thai fighter who uh, would basically get drunk every night and showed up at uh, training at uh, GSP's camp drunk. Like he was out all night. Mm -hmm. he, he was in Vegas, right? Mm -hmm. So the ultimate fighter's in Vegas, drinks all night, shows up in the day the next day and fucks everybody up. Yep. 
And they're like, this is so embarrassing. Like, guys were, like, devastated. Like, this guy literally came in holding, he's got a cup, like, from, like, one of those to-go cups from mm -hmm. one of them Vegas clubs. He showed up in the morning. See if you can find it, because it's kind of hilarious. Looks like a guy who should be driving an Uber, okay? He's not built like a yeah. savage. He's just, his mind is just, he's got the I don't give a fuck, yeah. and he's got it down. Yeah. And uh, was a you know world champion Muay Thai fighter, beat champions at Lumpini Stadium in Thailand, and just an amazing fighter. Well, you know, you always hear about the comparisons of a black belt in jiu-jitsu versus a white belt, right? Somebody mm -hmm. that's known anything, and it's real, real obvious, but when you get at a high level of Muay Thai, it's... Very similar, mm -hmm. maybe not quite as similar because there's always this idea that, well, you know, I at least know if I throw a punch, I at least know as a human how to throw a punch. At least there's some idea, right? There's some, like yeah. a normal human has no idea of how to do an arm lock, right. zero. You at least know, have some concept of how to throw a punch. So there is like a puncher's chance. But I remember the first time I sparred with a real Muay Thai guy, I was, I felt like a white belt. I was yeah. like, oh, okay. Because I would think about throwing a kick and I would get, you know, kicked myself yeah. i would think about it and get kicked like, oh he knows exactly what i'm gonna do just like a white belt in jiu-jitsu you know you, you can predict everything that they're gonna do there he is so oh, he, yeah, I remember like, this he shows guy. up i mean look he's no six-pack <laughs> i mean literally looks like a guy if you saw that guy show up you're like look at this dad bod motherfucker just just he's he showed up straight from the club i mean you can kind of mm -hmm. tell he's drunk and he gets in and starts training with these guys Let's see if he can get to some actual yeah. training footage because they were they were humiliated. I mean, he was ragged on these dudes and beating the shit out of them and dropping them, and it did. It's like, I mean, yeah. it looks like nothing, but he, but it's the the problem. You know, he's a world class yep. kickboxer, yep. and these guys just really have <clears throat> no idea how to handle his movement and the the skills that he has. <laughs> yeah, people underestimate. People don't think there's as much of a difference between like a black belt in jiu-jitsu and what would be considered an equivalent, you know, world champion in Muay Thai. Oh yeah, there's a big difference. Step step in the step in the ring and see how that works out for you. Jiu-jitsu guys sometimes get cocky about that. I had a buddy of mine who was taking an MMA fight and he wasn't doing any striking. Mm. He was doing very little striking, and he was a really good ground fighter. And I said, "Do you know how you can toy with a guy on the ground and they really have no chance?" He goes, "Yeah." I go, "People could do that to you standing." I go, you have to understand that the fight starts standing. It's not like you start, like it's not EBI rules where you start on a guy's back and you know you have a really good chance of submitting him if you got a great rear naked choke. This is not that. Yeah. This is you start twenty feet away from the guy and you're standing, and you know you have to close that distance. And you're not a great wrestler either. Yeah, well, that's the key component, right? Yes, it's a giant factor. Because right? if you, if at least if you wrestle, you can go well. At least I know I have a decent chance right. of taking him down. Yes, a well, decent chance, and even that's no guarantee anymore. Well, I go back to Mark Schultz when he fought in the UFC. You know, when Mark Schultz fought in the UFC, he only fought one UFC fight. But that's when we got to see like a world champion, Olympic gold medalist, top of the food chain wrestler. You're only on your feet if he wants you to be. Mm -hmm. Like you, you, good luck throwing that punch or kick because you, you have no chance. He's going to close the distance and drag you to the ground unless you have really good takedown defense. And back back then, when he fought Big Daddy Goodrich, people didn't really have it unless they were wrestlers. They didn't really have good takedown defense. It hadn't really been established as like a part of the the whole skill set of MMA yet. You basically had what you came in there with. You're a karate guy. That's what you had. You're a Muay Thai guy. That's what you got. You got to hope you land that elbow before that guy clinches yeah. with you. And there is a there is a overall strategic advantage to grappling yes because you can close the distance and if you're going to punch me you have to get close enough 
to you, you have to make contact with me, right. which means I can grab a hold of you and get you down. That's why that's why the early UFCs it was like, oh, I, you're gonna have to get close enough to either punch or kick me, and when you do that, I can grab a hold of you and get you to the ground. Also, the chaos factor. Especially in a street fight. The chaos factor is like bodies are flying. There's bad timing. The clinches happen. It's not like yep. every, you know, you'll, you'll watch the occasional street fight where a guy tees off on some drunk guy and, you know, lands the perfect punch and knocks him out cold. That does happen. Yep. But you know what also happens? Melee. Wild <laughs> shit misses and then someone clinches. And then the worst thing in the world is to fight a grappler who's good at takedowns when you're on the concrete. Oof. That is the absolute worst thing in the world. You get suplexed on your head on the concrete. I mean, one of the worst things that could ever happen. Yeah. You're basically getting hit in the head by the world. Yeah. Well, this is why I, when I talk about, you know, people say, well, what kind of self-defense? You, you always say jujitsu for self-defense, but, you know, you shouldn't let a street fight go to the ground. Here's, here's how it works out. If you come to me and you want to fight me and you, like, square off, like, in a boxing stance, I can run away from you. Right? I can just run away. I, I can just run away. I'm going to get away from you. I don't want to fight you. If you want to kick me, I can run away from you. Like, there's my primary self-defense is I'm just going to run away from you. When you grab a hold of me, now everything's different. I can't run away anymore. Now I have to actually know how to handle myself in a grappling situation. So that's why I start with jujitsu. And look, absolutely, learn boxing, learn Muay Thai, and learn wrestling. Absolutely, no doubt about it. But the very first thing you need to learn is because if you want to fight me, I can run away. If you square off and, you know, you put your dukes up yeah. and say, come on, or you push me, good, I'm running away. That's fine. I'll, I'll take that. But when, as soon as you grab a hold of me, now I got a problem because I can't run away, run the away anymore. The real problem is the ego where people don't know how to fight and someone puts their dukes up and they decide to see what they can do. Mm. They decide in that moment to either fake it or just to like see if they can possibly hit the guy and then they get pa-bink, yeah. somebody tees off on them. Yeah, I think that's, uh, I think the the whole thing with CTE right now, that's why I think the popularity of jujitsu is going to continue because it's a large part of fighting, same with wrestling, grappling in general, I think is going to continue to get more and more popular because because of CTE. Because, yeah. you know, as a parent, you're not looking, hey, I, want, I really want my kid to be sparring a lot when they're 13, right? Mm -hmm. No, there's not too many parents that are saying that right now. It's not a good idea. Yeah. So I think, but you still want your kids to know how to fight, right? So how are we going to do that? Well, we're going to teach them jiu-jitsu and wrestling and let them have that base. And then if they get older, hey, should they know how to throw punches? Absolutely. Should they get in the boxing ring sometimes and do some Muay Thai matches? Absolutely. You should absolutely do that as a human. But... You know, you can do that when you're 17, maybe 16. You can start getting that stuff in. But the kids' jujitsu, I don't think there's anything else better for them. I completely agree. And I think with martial arts, with striking, it's good to know just to know distance, mm -hmm. just to understand where you're safe and where you're not safe, and understand tells, understand what's happening when someone does this. When someone <laughs> does this, and then this is coming. When they do this, this is coming. <laughs> like, you should know that. Because yeah. some people don't know that. that you, you should know how to protect yourself, how to keep your hands up, how to duck under things. You should know that. It should You should understand the timing. You should understand distance and timing. Those are important things. But fucking swinging knuckles with some guy in the street is so goddamn dangerous because first of all you don't know what he knows and you're everyone's vulnerable everyone every person that gets punched in the face is vulnerable and if you just want to have like some sort of a kickboxing match with some man on the concrete like i don't advise that no no i, no. I, I advise clinch and trip yeah i advise get out of there yeah get out That's of there if you what can. I advise. yeah definitely if someone wants to start some shit with you you're absolutely better off just swallowing your ego and getting the fuck out of dodge <laughs> I 
that's the warrior kid books. Yeah. Right? Teach those yes. kids, hey, there's going to be problems. There's going to be bullies. Mm-hmm. If you can, you don't need to fight them. Yeah. And what's, oh, I somebody hit me up, you know, because I'm always telling people, train jujitsu, train jujitsu. Had somebody hit me up, you know, I, I've tried it, uh, but I don't, I, I want to try it. I tried it a couple times, but I don't like to fight. And I'm like, hey, if you don't like the fight, to fight, you more than anyone else should learn jujitsu. Because if you know jujitsu, you probably, your chances of having to fight will go down a lot just by the way you carry yourself, just the way by, by the way you present yourself. The chance of you having to fight go down a lot. Also, with jujitsu, you're involved in real life struggles. The thing about like karate sparring and a lot of point like light sparring is it's not the real chaos that comes with an actual fight. Whereas jujitsu is full blast. Yeah. If someone's trying to get you, it's full so you get used to full blast. Mm-hmm. You get you get accustomed to it. You know what to expect. If someone swings for you and you clinch with them, you know what it's like to resist with a 100% non-compliant body. Mm-hmm. You know, someone's like, fuck, I'm really trying to get away from you. Really, It's not like play sparring. Yes. You, you can go full out. And you know where this brings us right back to? Police officers. Yes. Well, Andrew Yang said it best. He said, I think that every police officer should be a purple belt. Oh, that's, purple belt. That's an incredible it's statement. Good, it's a good level, right? It's like an attainable level within a couple of years. But with a couple of years, man, you've got your ass kicked. You've kicked some ass. You've, you've, like a, a purple belt is basically a black belt who hasn't done enough time yet. That's all it is. Yeah. I mean, once you've got past blue belt, like blue belt is, I put in the time, I've learned how to do some stuff, and maybe I'll do this. I might make it. I might make purple belt. Like, you basically, everybody who gets a purple belt, you want to grab them and go, hang in there. Mm-hmm. You are a fucking black belt. <laughs> What's better to say? And you're a black belt in jujitsu. You're going to be a black belt in jujitsu. Mm-hmm. Just keep fucking going. You, you already have exhibited enough technique that you could actually one day achieve that. Just keep going. Yeah, the amount of confidence and and mental clarity that cops would have if every cop was a purple belt, oh, it be would be amazing. 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 Nothing better that we could do than to, than to somehow make that happen. Yeah. Good There's idea a, for uh, Andrew Yang. The horrible video of this guy involved with this lady and he's, t- he's, he's a cop, and he's talking to this lady, and she's non-compliant, and he grabs her, and he, he fucking brute strengths her to the ground and throws her on her stomach and then gets her in a rear naked choke, and people are filming this and yelling. It's a terrible rear naked choke. You tell he sucks. The whole thing is terrible. Like, I couldn't imagine a black belt ever handling it that way. Ever. Ever. First of all, you wouldn't be so threatened by her. She's not physically threatening at all. And you wouldn't want to bully her and show her that you could throw her around like that. It wouldn't happen. Mm -hmm. It wouldn't happen. Fear, right? That's fear kicking in. Mm -hmm. And it's fear not only of his ego, but he might be legitimately... When's the last time he put hands on somebody? I mean, if you put hands on people a lot, you know you don't have to do what he did in that situation. I haven't seen the video, but you don't, you know, you know you don't have to do that. I think he's just a pussy. When I'm looking at the video, I'm like, I just think he just wants to throw his weight around, which is another thing you wouldn't do if you know how to fight. Mm-hmm. That's part of why a lot of people act like that is because they really don't know how to fight. And that's really, they, they really don't know how to do that to a grown man. So when they're doing it to someone who they can do it to because they're just bigger they they do it they, they'll force them they'll, they'll impose themselves they'll be a bully it's it's horrible to see but you wouldn't see, you're not gonna see a black belt doing no, that to somebody no just the amount the amount of confidence that he exactly. has exactly and it's the same thing with kids yes. you know I, I posted something a, well, a few months ago but 
it's you know some some bully thing had popped up and then i said hey if you want to stop bullying um you know have kids train jiu-jitsu muay thai wrestling boxing. they should have it in school they should be oh, yeah. teaching kids in school and here's the thing people thought I, I said not only will it prevent them from getting bullied it will prevent them from bullying yes which people don't understand people cannot comprehend what that means and it's exactly what you just said if somebody actually knows how to fight and you've been humbled and you've been beat down and you've been choked and you know what that feels like and you know what it means and you know how that feels the chances of you look you could still be an asshole but the chances of you becoming a bully are way less way less than if you're insecure and scared and have a you know trying to make up for your ego by abusing people that's who becomes bullies yeah with kids and with adults 100 percent. the more the more you train the more secure you are the smaller your ego is the more you're able to step back and see things clearly you know that's one of the horrible things about that the george floyd was the other cops they're not detached from the situation they're all wound up in it and jujitsu yeah. teaches you and fighting teaches you that if you do that if you allow yourself to get wrapped up into stuff you're gonna you're gonna make bad decisions I think also for kids, a lot of the reasons why they do horrible shit is because they have too much fucking energy. Oh, they're, they're yeah. They're all jacked up with young hormones. Oh, yeah. Testosterone. Yeah. Testosterone and... And angst. And angst and... Bro, it's kind of fun, right? <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, yeah. you, it's kind of fun. Like, there's mayhem going on. Yeah. And when, I, uh, what, is that the right word? Am I a jerk for saying that? I don't know. When I was a kid, that kind of mayhem, I wanted to be a part of it. You know? If, and, and actually, I was talking to one of my L.A. cop buddies, and I was asking him the difference between, like, the, the 92 riots. What was it 92 or 93? Ronnie King. Those, those riots and these riots. Those riots, he was like, those were... The people that kind of instigated and started and perpetuated those rides, those were real, like gangsters, like shot callers were making those things happen. This one, these riots were, he was like, yeah, these are kids. These are kids that drove down from Riverside. These are kids that, you know, and, and sure, some of their, some of their attitudes was like, hey, there's been, you know, injustices against police. We want to stand up to that. Got it. And then he said, of course, there's a criminal element as well that are legit normal robbery crews that are saying oh cool we got some good cover right now let's get in there and make some you know steal some stuff and we probably won't get caught but that's that's a a big difference so you do have an element of kids that are like oh there's some mayhem going on there's some mayhem going on guess what 17 year old boys like they like mayhem they like mosh pits yeah. right you, yeah. you love that stuff yeah. that was my childhood if there was some mayhem i wanted to find it right and that's that fuels these things. Normal boy behavior. Normal boy behavior, especially when those boys are getting told, don't go yeah, out, don't exactly. do this. And they're being locked up in houses right now with yes. COVID. They're they've got freaking steam coming yeah. out of their ears. And then all of a sudden the cops are going to stand down while you smash windows and steal uh, shit and everybody can get free sneakers. Yes! It had nothing to do with George Floyd. It had so many things to do with so many different steps. Yeah. That it, so many different factors that it collided together on that one day. Yeah. Yeah, it's... It, it's Man, I don't know how this one ends up, man. I don't know how it ends up either. It ends up with me getting the fuck out of L.A. <laughs> Gone, huh? <laughs> Looks like it. Gone. Looks like it. I well, don't. I just don't see the benefit. I, I want to come come back and visit a lot, but it's just, it's just not not the smart place. Yeah, well, I, it's I'm not unfortunately managed either. I'm rooted here, unfortunately, by the ocean. Yeah. Because I'm an ocean guy. Yeah. And so there's really limited choices in the world. 
Yeah, it and really then, is. Yeah, that's a, a problem. Mm-hmm. You know, they kind of got me. You're that connected to the ocean. What is it about the ocean that you, you, you always post pictures of the sunrise and the ocean? <sighs> I don't think there's, you know, going surfing, just going, just going in the ocean. And plus my, my life was kind of being in the SEAL teams was always, we always had that. That was part of our life. You know, part of our life was the ocean, growing up in the ocean, just there's some, I don't know. You know, I guess, I guess for me, it's a huge like nature thing, right? Mm-hmm. You know, people, you should be, you should go outside, go outside and go hike in a mountain, you right. know, go, go to Montana and hike around, see what that feels like. Mm-hmm. Go to, go to Idaho, check that out. Go to the mountains, go to California mountains. Like, you feel different. You feel different. Yeah. You feel humbled. You feel small. You feel perspective. So the ocean does that for me. And it's just mind clearing, right? You go out surfing, like your mind is clear. It's kind of like jujitsu. Hey, you got to get out there. You're, you, you don't even know what you, sometimes you don't even, you know, you get done with a good role in jujitsu and you say, well, I, hey, well, you don't barely even remember it because your mind is just gone. You're yeah. just monkey mind. Zen. This total Zen state. Same thing with the being in the water for me surfing. Same thing. Like, oh, I'm out here and my mind is just empty. It's mm-hmm. monkey mind. And, and I think that's really good for you. Plus the fact it's humbling. Plus the fact it's healthy. So yeah, I just have a, a strong connection to the ocean. I know my, my son's a real waterman. You know, he's out. He surfs all the time. I'd hate to do that to him. And then my little daughter's getting her surfing on. So yeah, it's just one of those things, man. Yeah, I get it. There's a reason why surf towns, like like towns that are near the ocean are chill. Mm-hmm. Like you get humbled by that. Mm-hmm. Like you take yourself seriously. Look at that fucking body of water over there, stupid. Yeah, you ain't, you ain't shit. Uh, you know, people say, well, what makes the SEAL team so good? In one of the major components is the ocean. Yeah. Because when you've got to do an operation that involves the water, it just sucks. It just, everything about it sucks. Everything about it sucks. You're getting in a, you know, you're parachuting from a plane into the water. It's nighttime. You got boat, you're just freaking parachute, like drifting around. You got to get your motor started. It's freezing cold. Boats flip over. Then you got to drive that boat to the beach and you got to drive through the surf zone. Your weapons are covered with sand. You're freezing cold. It's just, everything sucks. Everything sucks about it. So when that's kind of your starting, and by the way, you haven't even conducted your operation yet. You, you haven't even started the operation and you're freezing cold. You're tired. Your radio got flooded out. Your, your night vision goggles are freaking filled with sand. Everything sucks. And now you got to conduct your operation. So in order to survive that way on a regular basis, that's one of the things that makes the SEAL teams good is we're, we're used to this one additional component all the time. Mm that you always have to deal with. You have to figure that out. You have to be able to gut through it. That's why in basic SEAL training, they just put you in the water for a long time. They just put you in there. We have to develop an attitude that embraces the suck. Oh, yeah. Yeah. For sure. You actually enjoy it in some way, some crazy way that you know it sucks. Like that video that I always quote, your video, good. (laughs) Dude, I listen to that in my head all the time. And I've watched the video a ton of times and listened to it. I've played it on this podcast at least four times. (laughs) But I hear it when I'm training. Like if I'm running hills and I'm fucking exhausted and there's like another hundred yards to get to the top of that hill, I hear good. Good. (laughs) Good. You're exhausted? It means you're fucking doing it. Yeah. Good. Well, suck it up. What, what are your cho- what's your choice? What else are you going to think about? Cry, you know, cry, oh, curl up in a ball. Want to quit? It. No, it's like no, actually, good. good. Bring it. 
Good. Let's make this happen. Yeah. And if you can do that, I also do that in the sauna. When I'm exhausted in the sauna and it's like 190 degrees and I'm 19 minutes in and, you know, doing a 30-minute session, mm-hmm. I'm like, good, good. It sucks. Mm-hmm. It means it's going to have a great effect on your body. You're going to get that hormetic effect. This is how you get the heat shock proteins, pussy. Yep. Hang in there. Good. It's if you want to if you want to do something that's worthwhile. Yeah, it's gonna suck. Yeah, it's just gonna suck, and you might as well just enjoy that part of it. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I mock myself too. That's the other thing I do. Oh, you make fun of yourself. Oh, all the time. Yeah. I get pissed at that little part of my brain. I'll be like, Oh, really? You think you're gonna? You think I'm gonna listen to you? Yeah. Not happening. Not happening. <laughs> I, I did these I, like these, I put these things in the kids' books. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Put those things. I you yeah. know those kids' books. Like there's a one of the kids' books talks about this hill, horrible hill, you know. Like this, what's this? What you're gonna face, horrible hill, mm. and it, what are you gonna do? You know, it's gonna suck. You just gotta do it. Yeah, you just do it. But the thing is, it's always sucks while it's happening. It's always fucking horrible. But then when it's over, it feels great that you got through the suck. And I don't think you, most people who don't experience suck, they don't experience that feeling of conquering suck. Yeah, and that's the that's the important thing to try and remember. Yeah. Right? So you remember it. I remember it. I remember what that. So even when it's sucking, I'm like, I know how this is gonna feel. I know, I know how this how plays this out. Ends. And you know what? Actually, I know other feeling. You know, is when you don't do it. Yeah. And the end of the day comes, you're like, dude, that was pathetic. You didn't even, you know, Ooh. you. And that's just the worst feeling. That's the feeling that really makes you sick. And so. Between that carrot and stick, carrot being like, I know this is going to be good, and stick being, I know at the end of the day, if I'm putting my head on the pillow and I was a bitch, that doesn't feel good. I don't want none of that. <laughs> it's the worst feeling of all time. It's, it's Being it's disappointed in yourself, like, it's also when you're a type of person that wants to achieve, and so you're always trying to get things done, you're always trying to push yourself, when you fall short because of cowardice or because... Oh. It is the worst feeling, that, or, or just, just failure, any kind of failure. The reason why you achieve, one of the reasons why, I mean, at least I can speak for myself personally, I, I do things so hard is because I've felt that sting of failure. I, you need to know what that feels like, especially when you quit. You need to know what quit, yeah, see, that's it. You need to know when your own, and you need to hear that, that fucking sting, feel that sting. So that when it comes up again, you're like, not today, bitch. No. Not today. <laughs> I've been here before. Keep going. Keep going. Find a way. But there's something about good. Like, just even saying it, it makes me smile. <laughs> it really does. It works. It really does work. Because it's an attitude changer. And I use the, the sauna. Sauna's really easy. Mm-hmm. It's not that bad. It's just fucking 30 minutes. You just deal yep. with it. But there's something about those last 11 minutes that you can get in your head like, fuck, I mean, really good. I probably get the good effect if I just leave now. There's like all these yep. little mind games you play. But if you just say, good, oh, does it suck? Good. Yeah. I start, start smiling. You can rationalize a yes. lot of that. You can start rationalizing of why. Well, you know, these last four minutes won't really make that big yeah. of a difference. A shift in perception. And I always notice that from listening to music when I run. Like, there's something about listening to a great fucking song when a great song kicks on when you're running. Like, if I'm, I'm running and 
Ted Nugent stranglehold comes on. <laughs> you know, there's something about stranglehold because it also has like a double meaning, right? It's jujitsu. It's yeah. strang fucking. Ah! You know, you like this. So when you hear the here I come again now, baby, I can run. I can run. Like yeah. I get extra energy. I'm like, where the fuck is that energy coming from? Yeah. Well, it's coming from my mind, right? The music stimulates my mind. It kicks in those endorphins, and then all of a sudden I got an extra gear. Yeah. Well, how come I can't just conjure up that fucking extra gear? I think you can. You can. You got to figure out how to do that all the time. Yeah, that always is horrible to see, like in a in a fight when a guy either he loses a fight. And after he loses the fight, he's raging. He's all mad. But he was just gassed. Right. He was just gassed. Right. Where was that? Where was it? Where was that yeah. right there? Yeah. Two sometimes, and a half minutes ago. Yeah. I mean, sometimes it's just overcoming anxiety for fighters. Sometimes it's just the, the, when it's over and the plug is pulled, it, you know, it's over. And they're like, fuck. Yeah. And then they're angry and raging because they realize they failed. They didn't manage their energy correctly. They didn't manage their mind, their anxiety. <sighs> Yeah, exactly. The same feeling yeah. of fucking loser. Ah, <laughs> fucking I'm a loser. Ugh. I'm so hard on myself, man. Everything I've ever done wrong, everything I've ever said wrong, just everything. Just I, I could, I'll be, I'll, I'll be in the middle of working out sometimes, and I'll think about it and go fuck. But that is also that <laughs> That's hard what makes on myself. You work. Yeah, and that that keeps you going. That that makes you achieve. It's like. People think that it's easy to just kind of go out there and get things done, but it's, it's not. It's that's why most people don't do it. Yeah, you know, I, I so I don't sleep a lot, right? And sometimes people are like, and look, I'm not saying you should shouldn't sleep a lot. Everyone should sleep as much as they can. I don't sleep a lot. People are like, hey, you know, why don't you sleep more? And I'm like, bro, I wish I could. Like, I wish there wasn't <laughs> this little thing in the back of my head going, hey, hey, you know, you're actually that you could be doing a lot more right now. What about this? What about that? What about the other thing? Like, that's what's going on in my head. Yeah. There's not something that's going, uh, uh, gee, I have to get up. Like, no, there's a thing in there going, you better get up. You better get up. They're tracking on you. They're watching you. You better get up. You're, it's happening. There's a bad guy out there. He's training harder. Like, that's what's in my head. It's not in my head like, oh, no. No. I, uh, hey, please. Let the freaking let let the freaking powers of the world allow me to go into bed at night and just pass out and be like, oh, I'm I'm good, I'm satisfied with my life right now. I wish I could feel that for freaking eight hours a night. It ain't there. It ain't there. It's like, oh, people talk about staying hungry. I'm freaking starving. I'm starving. <laughs> All the time. Ah. All the time. Like, stay hungry. Yeah, yeah. You, you have to, like, ah. Yeah. I know. It never ends. It doesn't end. That's the thing. And as soon as, as soon as I get somewhere, as soon as I get somewhere, I'm like, oh, where else? Where, I need to go. I need to go somewhere else. Yeah, now as soon I'm as worried I get about somewhere. getting soft. Yeah. Yeah, always. No yeah. matter what I've ever done, I was like, well, one day there'll be a thing where I'll be calm, satisfied and calm. No, with everything that's good that comes, now there's an equal fear of becoming a pussy. There's a, a fear of now becoming lazy and becoming like second rate yeah. and just like, God damn it, there's no end. Yeah. There's no, so I, now I don't even think there's an end. No, there's, there's definitely there's not no an end. end. Yeah, that's, that's what's funny about shooting the, uh, shooting the bow, right? Is what's, what I find funny about shooting the bow is anger, aggression really doesn't help you. At all. At all. You know what? It fucks you up hunting. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Because anger and aggression yeah. is all fast twitch shit, too. It's all movement. Whereas the bow is like, you got to have the mind of no mind. Mm -hmm. You got to just 
just execute and just stay completely focused on the task. Totally detached from yes. what's happening. Yeah. And you just got to sit there and. It's a new skill, really. Thing. Oh, it's totally new skill. And for, for me, like in the competition that I experienced, I only, the only competition I had other than inside the gym, um, you know, training partners is fighting. And that's all fast stuff. It's all like explosions and movement. Mm -hmm. So anytime where there's danger and, and, and anxiety and fear, your body's geared up to go quick and move quick. But with hunting, it's the opposite. Yeah. When you're drawing back on an animal, all that anxiety, like you better get that quick out of your head. Yeah. You, there's no quick. There's executing calmness. Yeah. Stay in the zone. Nothing is, exists other than the process of executing the perfect shot. It's the same thing with shooting. You know, you have, you draw oh, fast, yeah, yeah, you yeah. move fast, you draw fast, and then as soon as you punch out that weapon, you gotta go, boom. And like, right. you just gotta let that thing go. Yes. You used to see guys, myself included, like, you, you ever shot head plates before? Yes. Like, yeah. And you know, there's six head plates. Mm -hmm. You'd see me or some someone else, they miss one, and it's, if it's they don't, if off. they don't let that go. Right. Then everything falls apart. The wheels fall off. If you if they miss one and then they try and shoot, usually I would just miss one and just keep shooting, like it didn't even happen. Right. And maybe go back and get it, or you kind of have to go back and get it. But if you go, how did I miss that? Yeah. Oh, it's just a total and uh, complete and utter disaster. There's a great video that Tim Kennedy put off of him uh, shooting on the range, and uh, you know he puts dummy rounds in with his mm -hmm. regular rounds, mm -hmm. and he hits the dummy round and click, and he's like, look at that. Trigger control, <laughs> like trigger discipline, because like there was no flinch, there was no nothing. It was just click. There was yeah. no movement. It was perfect. You know, which is what you're trying to which achieve. Is what you're trying to achieve. You're, you're trying. You know, the last thing you want to see is click. Ah. You little some weird fucking. <laughs> Remember when I first started shooting rifles? Like uh, that's what I would I was I would experience that thing where you're anticipating the right. You know, th thirty uh, uh, um, um, wind mag. Uh, 300 Win Mag. So it's got a lot of kick to it. You know, it's a boom. It's like a loud, yeah, loud yeah. kicking gun. So um, there was no round in the chamber. And I, I pulled it and I saw myself doing them like, you bitch. Like, you better learn how to stop doing that. One thing that's interesting is learning how to shoot a bow radically increased my accuracy with a rifle. Oh, yeah. Radically. Yeah. Because it's so still. There's so much stillness, and everything's freehand, right? Mm -hmm. You're very rarely shooting a rifle at an animal freehand, usually trying to find a rest, unless it's like inside of, you know, 60, 70 yards. You're probably going to try to rest. You're not going to shoot a 300-yard shot with a rifle freehand, but with a bow, everything's freehand. So with a, a rifle, I just knew that all it was just squeeze, 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 let it go off. Yeah. Just let it go off. Squeeze, squeeze, squeeze. Boom. Like when I started shooting at uh, Terran Tactical, shooting on the range, the easiest thing for me was a rifle. Oh, I yeah. was like, oh, God, all I have to do is just squeeze and it'll, the trigger will go off. I'm so used to a bow mm -hmm. where there's so many moving parts and you're using your back and you're letting it go off a surprise shot. It made a big difference in my rifle accuracy. Yeah. That, that, that was when, uh, when Dudley was teaching me how to shoot and Andy was there too. So Andy was like translating for me. He's like, Hey, what do you mean? He's translating it to seal like right. pistol shooting. And they're kind of like, communicating to each other and then Andy said hey what he's saying is like you know front side focus I was like okay cool got it you know <laughs> and uh, yeah, it was awesome to have have freaking Dudley I know the first person that ever shows me anything about archery is Dudley saying hey here's a bow and here's exactly how to shoot you idiot and I'm like thank you it's pretty goddamn lucky <laughs> yeah I mean we're both real lucky in that regard <clears throat> I, I learned how to bow hunt from Cam Haynes and John Dudley <sighs> like Jesus it's pretty lucky. Those are those are like the world champions. Yeah, of yeah, that. that, yeah. That's uh, 
That's Jordan and Kobe Bryant, or L- Jordan and LeBron James. Completely. Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, it's uh, we're very fortunate, and it's um, there's something about hunting too that once you it's it seems like when you're looking at it on the surface, it seems so straightforward, and then once you start doing it, it's very much like martial arts. Where you're like, God damn, there's a lot of layers to this shit. <laughs> there's so many layers, you know? And then when you're hanging out with a guy like Cam or uh, a guy like Dudley and you hunt with them and you see them hunt, you go, oh, like this is, I get it. This is a black belt. Oh, this yeah. This is some Mundial's champion here. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's exactly what it is. <laughs> so, so crazy. Yeah. So crazy to see those guys in action. And just to be like listening to what Dudley's telling me mm-hmm. about what a freaking elk is gonna do. Yeah. Like, he's gonna come over here to watch it. Yeah. I'm like, well, I guess that's just about to happen. Oh, and it just happened. Yeah. Uh, it's it's madness. And then with Dudley too, it's like he's so into cooking it too. <laughs> he's so good at cooking. It's like you get the whole lifestyle thing from him. You you get like this learning how the the art of archery, which really is an art form. It's For an sure. art form just like martial arts are. And then this moment of keeping your shit together and the execution of the shot. And then the big payoff when that does happen. And then the harvesting the animal, carrying it out, and then the meal. Mm-hmm. That meal afterwards when you've had a <laughs> successful hunting trip. It's like, God damn, when we were in camp in Utah and Dudley made that neck that uh, neck roast <laughs> with, with jalapenos and the bell peppers. And holy shit, that was good. <laughs> But it was also so good because you knew what went down. Yeah. You, you know, you were there when he shot the elk. And yeah. It's all it's all so crazy. It's 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 so satisfying that I can't imagine it not being a part of my life and not and that meat not being a part of my diet. Mm-hmm. It just changes you. Yeah. So it's it's too bad that it's not more available to people. Yeah. You know. Yeah, it's and not. It's hard. It's there's a high bar for accessibility. It's it's very and and we got real lucky. Oh, for sure. We get to hunt at the Deseret Ranch in Utah, which is this incredible place. It's a private property. I mean, it's all wild animals. There's no fences, but it's private property. Mm-hmm. So there's not an overwhelming number of people. Like there's a lot of guys that they try to go into public land, and unless you're willing to hike in 20 miles, and there's a lot of guys that are willing now to yeah. hike in 20 miles because there's now this culture of these really fit backpack hunters, like these Aaron Snyder type dudes. Who put these fucking heavy packs on and they just go. They they're training for this moment all year round. Like Aaron has this crazy setup in his gym where he has this uh, elevated treadmill, and then each the treadmill on each side has uh, uh, like a like an Olympic bar and you lift the bar so you're holding weight and you're going up this elevated treadmill i'm like jesus fucking christ man but that's that's what you have to do if you want to be mountain fit to be able to do that and that's the barrier for entry to go and do these public land hunts everybody stops at the trailhead everybody gets out of their car and then how far are you going to go because he's willing to go 20 fucking miles in are you willing to go 20 miles in yeah that's going to take eight hours and then come 20 miles back out with a moose on your with back. A freaking <laughs> moose on your back. That's like that's the totally legit. Yeah, totally that, legit. That's as legit as it gets. Yeah, and most of those guys all had to learn themselves. They all had to teach themselves, and you know they've all. You know we're real lucky that like we get this amazing coaching. So we're getting these these even though there's so many layers to it, and we're both kind. I mean I've been doing it now. 
I've been hunting for eight years, bow hunting for, I guess, six, mm-hmm. six-ish. Total rookie. You know, I'm still mm-hmm. like a blue belt, or maybe maybe I'm, like, getting ready to be a purple belt. Maybe I might get my purple belt soon. But, you know, you go out with those guys, they're fucking 10th-degree black belts. And it's like there's – even though there's, you know, this this barrier for entry, it is still possible. It's still possible. But it's just like jujitsu. It's like when you when you're talking to that blue belt, you're like, keep fucking going. Yeah. And you can make it. You can do this. <clears throat> you know, speaking of which, uh, I have to at least bring this up a little bit to clarify a little bit what I did to John Dudley on the jujitsu match. You broke his neck. <laughs> you broke his fucking neck. Here's, what do you mean what you here's, did? <laughs> here's the only part that you're missing missing a little bit, right? So I'm giving him his wife. Uh, like a like a jujitsu private. So you Actually, broke his neck Andy's in front of there. his wife. Andy's there. L- little Dud was there. So this it was is getting like, worse. You yeah. broke his neck in front of his wife and his son. So I'm just completely, you know, I'm chilling and like, hey, this is this, this is that, and I'm not even, I'm not even doing like this is that we in one weekend, Andy, John, and me, we did, we did archery, which I had never done before. Then we did jujitsu, which John had never done before, and then we went on the wind tunnel which John had never done before, you know, because Andy's like a sky god, parachuting, blah, blah, blah. And so we did those three things. It was kind of like a cool weekend. I mean, that's kind of an epic weekend, really. Let's be honest. So it's jujitsu time. So I'm like, okay, cool. So I'm going over, hey, this is the guard. This is the mount. I'm going over all the basic stuff. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm just giving the basic overall kind of concepts. So I get done with that, you know, and I'm done. Like, I'm done. I, I'm just done. I'm like, okay, you know, great. It's a good introduction. And then Dudley is like, well, let's go a little bit. And I'm like. That was the wrong language. I would have pulled him aside. Come here. So Come so, here. so he's like, let's go a little bit. And even that, you know what? I'm totally cool with that. Of course, he wasn't. I uh, He wasn't mean. And he would, wasn't thinking he was going to be. It wasn't. He's, he, he, he wants the experience. Yeah. He, I shouldn't have even said, let's go a little bit. He was like, he was like, hey, can we, can we try it? You know, something like that. Just being cool. And I'm like, yeah, absolutely, man. No problem. So. So I lay down on the ground, right? And I'm like, he says, well, what, what should I do? I go, you know, just attack me. You know, I, so I lay down on my back. I'm like, just attack me. And guess what he did? What did he do? He freaking attacked me. He like came at me. And Dudley's a big, strong, athletic guy. He's six, what is he, six, five? At least. Yeah. So he comes, he grabs, and I, I'm chilling. You know, I'm just like, okay, cool. He, he comes at me. I think I, he could like grab me. And so I kind of replace guard and then I sweep him. And I'm ma- and so I'm mounted. And all this is just pretty chill. And I put in a Ezekiel, uh, Ezekiel choke, right? Which I have a no little, gi? yeah, no gi Ezekiel choke. I have a little, I have a little good technique for doing it, but. No big deal. So I put in the Ezekiel choke. He's, this is the thing that I really wish I should have explained more because we hadn't rolled. I wasn't like, hey, when you start to feel like you got to, you got to tap out, right? He knew to tap out, but I kind of figured everyone knows how to tap out. So I put the choke in on him, right? Well, he doesn't know what to do. So he, he's grabbing me and he's pulling, he's squeezing me. So he's on the bottom. I'm mounted. I've got the Ezekiel choke in. And he, in order to defend himself in his own mind, he's squeezing me into him, which the way I do my Ezekiel choke, it hurts. I mean, it, it compresses the choke even more. And so well, what are you doing specifically? Basically, I put my hand, I make a fist and I put my fist in my sternum 
and then I, you know, grab the forearm here and then arch my shoulder. So there's the neck right here. It closes it, right? So it. So you're putting the fist into the, the fist into right. It's a it's mm -hmm. a trach. It's an air choke. It's right. gnarly. Okay. And so I'm just doing this, and you can see that hole, and you shrug. But as I'm doing this, he's panicking and pulling me into him. Oh Jesus! And he only did it for a second, and then he and then he taps out. And I was like, yeah, you know, and I wasn't. I was just like, oh, you know, boom, and then he taps. And then the rest of the story is, I guess I didn't know a lot about the rest of the story. I didn't know any of the rest of the so story. Because he didn't want to see, he want to feel like a baby. Yeah, it fractured like his hyoid bone and then it built calcium up around it. So he calls up Andy one day and he goes, dude, I think I got throat cancer. Because there's something growing in my throat. <laughs> and he goes, the doctor gets an x-ray and he's like, hey, did you do something to your neck? Because there's a, there's a hairline fracture that's knocking out calcium deposit around it. And he's like, oh, I know what happened. So I guess in my defense. <laughs> Why didn't you just get him in like a head and arm choke Dude, or something? It wasn't that it, it wasn't like a big deal. It wasn't <laughs> it wasn't crazy. It wasn't crazy. It was just normal. It'd be like if if you grabbed somebody that showed up here is like, hey, you know, hey, can you roll with me? You'd be like, oh, cool. And you'd put him in a kind of whatever presented itself. Mm -hmm. Maybe you'd arm lock him. Maybe you'd do a Camaro. The problem is when you get used to doing certain types of chokes and then you're doing it to someone who doesn't, especially that where you got a fist yeah. in the neck. And I, this is, I guess this is the only thing. Uh, he, he, make no mistake about it. Even though I was just chilling. He was not. He was going level seven berserker mode on me. <laughs> And he's such a good athlete, you know? That's the thing about people that have never done jujitsu when they're doing it with someone who's a black belt. They probably feel like they can just kind of go crazy and you'll just absorb it and deal with it. And so they just try it. Let's see what happens when I go crazy. So now he holds this over my head. Mm, you know, he should. He broke his neck in yeah, front of his wife I, Oh, I know. I know. One day I'm like, I'm like, we were up in Montana. And I said, hey, man. He's like, he sits like, he was at my house. He's like, oh, thanks for having us over. I go, bro. You, you, you know, you taught me how to do this. You brought me up here. You take me hunting like you're doing all this awesome stuff, man. I, I, you know, you're the man, dude. I really appreciate it. He goes, yeah, and you know what you did for me? I'm like, what? He goes, broke my neck. <laughs> it's awful, bro. Ugh. It's all good now, though, right? Oh, yeah. So not bothering oh, him anymore? Uh, oh, I don't know about that. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you meant it's all good between us. It's no, all no, good no, between I us. Mean, he just sent me a new neck. bow. We're freaking fired up. I think every time up. he swallows, he thinks about you. No, he coughs. Oh, no. He coughs. Hopefully, I mean, I haven't talked to him about it. I don't like to bring it up a lot. but So there's yeah. something in there that's fucking with his throat. Something in there is making him cough. So they'd have to probably get in there and scrape it. So while we're hunting, he would be like... <laughs> And then he'd look at me. Oh no! <laughs> and I'm just thinking, oh, I'm such a such a horrible oh, person. Oh no! And, and it's, you know, I was I always say like, uh, you know, I Dean Lister. I've been, been Dean Lister's training partner for twenty something years. Up until recently, he never hurt me, and I never hurt him. Never. I up mean, until recently. Yeah, because he he ended up hurting me, and he hurt, ended up hurting me in the dumbest possible way. I show up to class. This was like. Uh, uh, this is over a year ago because I it, it hurt my archery for a while. I show up to class late, right? And he's teaching and we're just going to roll. But I come out and he's like finishing the class. And I'm cold and I'm just, just getting on the mat. And he's, he says, oh, let me, show, let me show something. He goes, here, lay down. And he gets a, he gets a straight, like a, he gets an Americana on me or a Camira. But anyways, he's like, hey, 
try and get out by straightening your arm. And the whole class is watching. He goes, try and get out by straightening your arm. I'm, and I go, okay, cool. And so he puts me across, he gets across side, he puts the, I think it was, I think it was an action, uh, a Kimura. He says, he says, all right, now try, and this is in front of the class. He goes, so try. So he's like straight arm Kimura. He's about he's to not... straight, he's about, my, my arm is here and he's about to straight. He mm-hmm. wants me to try and get out by like doing almost like a hitchhike or escape mm-hmm. or something. So he says, uh, he says, try and get out by straightening your arm. I go, okay. I straighten my arm and he just in a millisecond and you could hear it. Arm locks me. Totally destroyed my arm. Uh, no, not totally. It was injured very bad. The first time in my life I had to get a sling. This bro, this guy comes over to me, Dean Lister, and he goes, bro, and he's all, he's such a nice guy. He's all, bro, I'm so sorry. And he goes, I didn't know your elbow wasn't very flexible. I go, bro, it's an elbow. Elbows aren't flexible. <laughs> They're bone, dude. <laughs> I didn't know your elbow wasn't flexible. <clears throat> Dean needs a DNA test because I know he's at least 86% Neanderthal. Yeah, at a minimum. The way his neck and his shoulders move together. Like at you a could minimum. S- you can see that dude with like a, a, a big club. For sure. And a total, total mutant and a, and a savant on the jujitsu mats. Oh, yeah. A complete savant on the jujitsu mats. Well, he's the literally the missing link. He's the link. I shouldn't say the missing link. The link to jujitsu expanding into the leg lock. Mo- modern jujitsu. It's yeah. 100%, G- 100% Dean Lister. 100%. And the, the statement that he made to John Danaher has become world famous because mm-hmm. Danaher said it on my podcast. He said, Dean Lister said to him, Why would you, enjoy, why would you ignore 50% of the human body? Yep. And Donaher, being the fucking genius that he is, was like, "Why would you enjoy? Yeah. Why would you? So why would you ignore it? most of the like you know all the all these new things that are coming out now, right? Yeah, uh, you know you see Gordon Ryan, just mm-hmm. insane. All these guys that are really attacking legs now. And by the way, just like Dean, Gordon's not only good at attacking legs; he's good at everything. But I I was asking Dean because I watched you know Dean's done all these moves to me for years, you know, and. Uh, just just over and over again, right? This is what we do. This is what, this is what we've been doing. We've been doing it since he won ADCC when when Eddie beat Hoyler, when Dean won, when he beat Kakareko in the finals with uh, fi- what they now call 50-50, which he and I called Kakareko after that. We called that Kakareko. No one started doing it for another many, many years, probably 10 years regularly. I was there that year. Oh, yeah, and I wasn't Paul. there that year. I was I was there when Eddie... One in San Diego. We were all I, I competed in San Diego. Dean competed in San Diego and Eddie competed in San Diego for the trials I was there for that too. Eddie won. Yeah uh, Dean won. I lost to Big country Roy Nelson. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah, and I did because I wasn't very tactically smart. I Scrambled to a position and I tried to get a I, as a matter of fact, I got a crucifix because that was kind of one of my go-to moves, get a crucifix and I get a choke from there, when I should have taken the back and gotten points, and I didn't, and mm. Roy Nelson, who is a great guy and he's a total stud, uh, he, I got the crucifix position and he like powered out of bounds. And so then, and he, he beat me because he's a much better uh, wrestler than me and awesome at jiu-jitsu too. Anyways, uh, when he won that, like we were doing this stuff. So... Anyways, right, probably six months ago or three months ago, I was asking Dean, I said, hey, Dina, are you starting to see things that you didn't know, right? When you're watching, because he watches, you know, mm-hmm. my, I said, are you starting to see jujitsu things that you didn't, that you didn't know, like footlock stuff? And he's like, he's like, yeah, about three or four months ago, I started seeing some things that I didn't think of. 
So that's how long it took people to get to and then start to develop their own stuff, which, which is pretty crazy. Well, it's fascinating that once the game moved into this sort of leg lock heavy style that so many guys like Craig Jones mm-hmm. and Gordon Ryan and this, you know, Gary Tone, and there's so many of those guys that you're seeing this game getting tighter and tighter with leg locks. Yeah. They're, they're, and the way John Donaher examines everything, too, because Donaher's body is broken, mm-hmm. he can't really compete anymore. Yep. I mean, he has an artificial hip, he's got an artificial knee, his body's really fucked up, and his, the, his other knee is really unstable. So he can roll, but he can only roll very controlled with guys who understand his physical limitations, mm-hmm. and then you can see how he understands positions. You can get a lot out of rolling with him. There's a great video, actually, of Gordon Ryan rolling with John Donaher. And obviously, they're not using strength, they're just mm-hmm. flow rolling. Um, but you, you you see how tactical he is and how ahead of every position he is and how his deep understanding of it. And part of it is because he's teaching these guys and he's teaching them from a position where he can't really do it himself. He can do it, but he can't mm-hmm. can't compete. He can't roll. Right, right. It. But 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 he has the mind for it. So he's seeing it from the outside. And he's also this fucking really genius human being. So he's able to break this down, and then he has this core group of badasses that understand what a great pleasure it is to have this genius teach you. I mean, it's not a coincidence that that whole Henzo Gracie team has become one of the the biggest threats. Like, that whole team is filled with fucking murderers. Yeah, and they're, just to, again, emphasize the point, is leg locks are a part of the game. And there was a time period where people thought that leg locks would change the game completely. And at a certain point, the defenses for the leg locks become known. And all of a sudden, you have to go back to the other parts of jiu-jitsu. And that's why you see guys like Tonin, right? Mm -hmm. He doesn't always win with heel hooks, but you have to address them or you will lose. Right. And yeah, those guys, it's, it's really cool to see those guys coming up. I mean... It's such Actually, a I don't know why I'm kind of saying it coming up like I'm like like there, but I'm watching this development yeah. come, which I was at kind of ground zero with Dean Lister. Mm-hmm. And the crazy thing is, Dean Lister, he he has like a like a crazy savant mind where I would create one thing for every whatever for every twenty things that Dean created. It's probably like Eddie, and I don't know Eddie as well as you do, but just the creative part of his brain is what the most powerful thing was. Yeah. And then once people saw it, they're like, okay, now we can build upon this. Yeah, for Eddie, it's 100% the creative part of his brain. Also the fact that when I met Eddie, he hated lifting weights. He wouldn't lift weights. <laughs> because I would try to get him to lift weights. I'm like, come on, let's lift weights. Like, I'm not fucking lifting shit. Like, you can go lift weights. So, so he was this little tiny guy, and he had to rely on technique, yeah. so he had to rely on trickery. Plus, he was a musician, right? So he's always this creative yeah. guy, and he smoked a lot of weed, too. Yeah. So he's always thinking about things outside the box. Oh, yeah. And he's also this guy that doesn't like people telling him that he's wrong. So, like, you know, like, you can't do it that way. He's like, oh, really? Hmm. Let's see if I can. And then he would find a way to do it. And, you know, and he just developed all these, like, weird entries into things oh, and yeah. these weird setups that people didn't see coming. And once he sort of improved upon these and then started expanding upon them and then developing that whole 10th planet system, I mean, really, it's an insanely creative system that's just developed 
based on his ability to just think outside the box. Mm-hmm. I had Jeff Glover at my training at my gym for a long time. Teaching he's another at my gym. He's the same thing where he's small, he's crazy flexible. Mm-hmm. He smokes a lot of weed yep. <laughs> and like he would just do wild things, wild things. I was at a, I was at, I was at actually at ADCC and I was with my son. My son was probably like nine or something and we're there watching and Jeff Glover's about to compete. This was before I really was friends with Jeff. Was he doing that donkey guard thing back then? He was doing everything. He, the donkey guard hadn't become super popular, but he was kind of in the beginning stages of it. So I'm sitting there next to my son and we're at ADCC. So it's, it's a small thing. You know, I go, I, and I say to my son, you know, I go, Hey, watch this guy that's about to come out. He's crazy. And Glover comes out and he like, just, he falls on his back, flips inverted guard and starts like just going insane, just doing insane things. And you know, the rest of the matches are two guys, you know, playing patty cakes and looking for the takedown. Glover comes out, falls down, freaking just doing all kinds of wild stuff and then submits the dude in 30, 38 seconds. And my son looks at me and he goes, he goes, I thought you meant like crazy. And he goes, I didn't know you meant crazy. And I go, yes. He, he thought you meant like brutish. Yes, brutish, like crazy. He, yeah. he didn't think I meant just weirdly creative. What that, what that weird creative thing is. Yeah, that's one of the best things about learning jujitsu from a small person. Like those small guys, 100%. they figure out how to get around things. I mean, there's been a, a bunch of, you know, Hoyler Gracie's a great example of it too. Eddie, Glover, oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. That's that's why I'm never a good. That's why I'm a bad person to introduce people to jujitsu. Right. Because they just think, oh yeah, of course you're a gorilla. Yeah. You know, you outweigh me by 40 or 50 pounds. Yeah. I love, I used to always have Jeff Glover on standby at my gym and be like, oh, you don't, oh yeah, okay, go tra- go train with that guy over there. See what happens. And when Jeff goes against a, like a big strong guy, he's going to get some. Yeah. They really get so disappointed in themselves. It's so sad. He, he said, <laughs> he said the easiest people for him to roll with were big, like muscular guys. Really? He says the easiest people for him to roll with are big muscular guys. Like. Big muscular guys. He says, "Oh, I, I love, I love rolling with them. They're so easy." That's so crazy because most people get injured mm. rolling with like that Glover's guy's so rarely freaking injured. Flexible. Yeah, his I think his I think his neck's jacked up now. A oh, bit. is it now? Yeah, that's a thing that gets everybody is the goddamn neck. Mm-hmm. The neck, you know, because very few guys really strengthen their neck correctly either. I think the neck is one thing that you absolutely should strengthen. I think you can get away with not lifting weights and doing jujitsu, but I don't think you can get away with not strengthening your neck for very long. Yeah, that's uh, it's one of those things, and it connects you to the rest of your freaking body. You also use it. You use it more than you think. You know, especially me. I was uh, my my favorite technique is probably head and arm choke. So, and you're using your neck mm-hmm. to secure that arm. Mm-hmm. And once you develop a feel for holding that arm in place with that neck, that neck gets a workout, man. <laughs> you know, you really, you use it a lot more than you think. And if you can strengthen your neck, it, it's just, it's such a big advantage. It's also a big advantage in avoiding getting hurt because it strengthens the whole chain from the top of your spine all the way down. You know, that's why I'm such a big fan of that iron mm-hmm. neck. I just used it right now, right, mm-hmm. be- right before uh, the podcast. I was doing it. I do it every fucking day, man. I put that. I have one. On and, oh, I bought one. Love it. They emailed me a bunch. They're like, bro, how do you like it? I'm like, it's all good. It's fucking awesome, man. <laughs> yeah, between that and you know, there's a few other back exercises and stuff that I think are are critical. Strength in the lower back too, because it's another thing that guys always get jacked is their lower back. Yeah, you know the weird thing is people people people's necks get jacked up regardless. 
Like there's people that go through life doing whatever paperwork and they end up with a bad neck. Yeah. Neck is a vulnerable thing. So if you don't it take is. care of it, especially when you are abusing it, when you are getting choked, when you are not tapping, it's uh, one of those things. That I judge people on their necks. On the size of their neck? Yeah, if I see someone with a little skinny neck, yeah. I just go, what are you doing, man? Yeah, do some, go do it's some bridges. Good. It just doesn't seem like it would be a good thing to have. It's, that's the thing that holds your head on. I can't wait for the future when your neck is all jacked up and you go in and they just put you in surgery for two hours and yeah. you come out, you got a metal spine. That's what's gonna I, oh happen. yeah, I'm gonna be the first person. I'm I'm right in line. You want to give me a metal spine or any metal components inside my body? You're down with that. I'm 100 percent down. Let's make it happen. <laughs> Eddie's got a <laughs> fake disc. Eddie's got a titanium articulating disc. Which where? Lower back. His his lower back had been so smashed and suppressed that um, his you know that's one of the things that's why men when they get older they they shrink is your discs get squished. To the point, and they start touching. You get st uh, stenosis. Do you think you can go too far with flexibility that it starts to injure you over the long term? Well, I don't think you can go too far with flexibility, but flexibility without strength, perhaps, because maybe that inflexibility, like maybe you'll get like some muscle damage, you know, when you're trying to push too far, and that'll prevent you from getting disc damage. Mm -hmm. Maybe that's just speculation, but I think. It's crit It's just so critical to strengthen your back, man. I mean, I'm always doing reverse hypers, and I do all these different like uh, back extensions. Mm -hmm. I just think strengthening that whole column and yoga in particular, and then the neck, the iron neck. I just think that whole thing. It's like too many guys just rely on their workouts to strengthen that, and they don't take it as like, hey, I really like doing jujitsu. I really like doing muay thai. I want to put in the time. To work out these areas. How's Eddie's back now? It's not 100%. It it's still fucks with him a little bit, but he's rolling again. But he's got a fake disc. Mm -hmm. A disc. It's a titanium disc that they replace the smushy part with this thing that rolls and moves. But it still creates some inflammation. Whenever you, Look, um, I know look, I had Ronnie Coleman here last week. I know. I listened to and it. And his whole back is yeah. all fused. And it's horrible, man. I mean, he can't walk. And, you know, he's the king. Greatest Olympian of all time. Yeah. I mean, he's a fucking amazing pro bodybuilder. Eight-time Mr. Olympia. I watched Only the, I watched the documentary. Yeah. Did you see the documentary No, I didn't. I didn't. Really good, man. Really just, what a good guy. Great guy. What a nice guy. Couldn't be nicer. Couldn't be, and in pain. In fucking agony. And, and just still working friendly out. And oh, wouldn't wouldn't have it any other way. And he talks about the, the days that he, like, he was talking about uh, squatting 800 pounds. And that, uh, like, he, he, only, he said he was going to do it for two reps. And after the two reps, he said, I could have gotten more. And to this day, he, he thinks he should have got more. <laughs> that's what we were talking about earlier, yes, right? That's keeping yes. him up at, at night. Exa that's why he's a champion. I mean, that really is. That, that's what made him a champion. Did you watch the the, uh, the West Side versus the World documentary? No, I didn't. With Louis Simmons? I got to interview Louis. Oh, that's yeah, why I, I know. got I listened the to that reverse one too. hyper out yeah, here. I yeah. have another piece of his equipment too, that belt squat machine, okay. which is amazing. It puts mm -hmm. all the weight on your on your hips versus on your back. He's a fucking wild dude, Wild. <laughs> I want to go out there and hang out. <laughs> oh, he would love you, man. He would love you. Yeah. He's, you would love him too, man. He's he, That is who Louis is. And he's got this fucking gym filled with barbarians. Oh, yeah. Just all they're doing is just trying to lift the maximum amount oh, of weight they can lift. It's insane. <laughs> my kid, my kid watched that, and he, you know, I think he's just all about it now. Right. West side. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> him and his little buddies talking about Louis Simmons. You know, uh, he's contagious. Go harder, go heavier. I mean, Jamie and I were in his office interviewing him. That's where we did it. We actually oh, you went out did there? the podcast at Westside. Yeah, I was in Columbus doing stand up, and I I just I had to interview God, him. That's awesome. I just knew. I knew just like I, I want to get the guy in his gym too. It was just it was fucking amazing. He gave us a tour of the gym, and then we did a podcast at his desk. It was awesome. What, what, a, what a rare human being. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they don't make him like Louis Simmons, but also a, a genius. Like, here's a guy who figured out, like, his disc was fucked up, and they were like, we're going to fuse you. And he's like, well, let me think of this. Mm -hmm. Something made it compress. I'm going to figure out something to make it decompress and strengthen that area, and that's where the reverse hyper came from, which I think should be a staple in every gym. That reverse hyper machine for strengthening the lower back and then an actively decompressing, I've never found anything better. And that's all in Louis Sim mm -hmm. Simmons' mind. He came out of his own brain because of his injury. That he came back from after. Yes. <laughs> Wizard. And was squatting whatever, yeah. 729, world record at whatever, 62 years old. Yeah, but I wouldn't recommend anything he, do he does. I mean, he, here's a guy who got his <laughs> biceps reattached and then blew it out because it was too annoying to not be able to work out. So he just went back to working out and pop, snap back off. No, they all cold. So he's got no biceps. Yeah. Just pulls back. <laughs> Crazy animal. <laughs> He got his shoulder redone. They gave him a, an artificial shoulder. Goes back to the gym, and they're like, you're going to max out today. They ma his friends made him max out after his shoulder surgery with an artificial shoulder. Like, okay. Like, just that's just the culture. Yeah. The culture is, it doesn't matter. Well, Injuries I, don't matter. In the, uh, in the documentary, one of the guys was saying, my goal was to hurt Louie when he came in the gym. My goal <laughs> was to hurt him. I wanted him to get hurt. I wanted to push him so hard that he got hurt. And this is one of yeah. his buddies, yeah. one of his friends, mm -hmm. one of his training partners. My goal was to hurt him. That's that culture, though. Yeah. I mean, that's how you develop such a legendary place. You, you have to have the sensibilities are beyond what a normal person would consider a prudent thing to do yeah and if people the people that could withstand that kind of pressure became champions yeah became world record holders it's all about the mind jocko that's what it nobody takes. knows more than you <laughs> we just did three hours dude i'm gonna give you a covid test now it's 3 30. let's get some all right let's get some thank you brother right appreciate on, you man right on bye everybody awesome